1: Did you know I had forgotten this and I was thinking about this before you came over here today that we are uh, powered by
2: I'm waiting for you to conduct P- P-
1: I didn't forget that we were powered by Peaks. I was just sort of like trying to set you and the audience up for not expecting
2: that. Totally. Let's uh, put into context what day of the week this is. It's Tuesday. We know we played Ohio State on Saturday. We beat them at Ohio State. Pretty sure about that. We're recording this on Friday. Now we're going to have to do addendums through the whole weekend. I'm not doing any addendums. We're not doing any addendums. We're just sure we're going to win, and let's just move on. That's true. I do have a question for you, though. Uh Uh-oh. What are you doing this weekend? You want to watch the game together? No. I'm talking this is Tuesday. Right. So this is us in the future. This is us on Tuesday, February. What is it?
1: Uh, The the 3rd?
2: Is that what it is? Yeah. It's Tuesday, February third. It's Tuesday, February third today. So what are you? No, it's not. It's Tuesday, February fourth. Oh, I'm so sorry. What are you I'm doing? Bad at figuring out dates. In what the are you future. doing this weekend? The weekend of February seventh, eighth, and 9th?
1: Well, I mean, you know, the kids always have something to do. I Tough. Maybe you know, thought about getting to the YMCA and just breaking a sweat, or we could go to Bloomington and watch the Purdue game.
2: You want to go to Bloomington? Let's do it. You think the hysterics should go back to Bloomington? I do think so. Look, that, that took something out of me the last time we were there. Yeah. I mean, that not a lot of sleep, just a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I do like how you're being corrupted by myself. And, and both the Bloomington and the New York contingents, they're all willing to go real late. They love going late. And the peer pressure on you is great. It's brutal. <laughs> uh, what do you say we go? Yeah, okay, let's go. I'm going to bring my girlfriend, Holly. Uh, my wife is going to be working this weekend, and I'll ship my grandchildren to another state to be taken care of by their grandparents. How about that?
2: Let's do it. Great. We're going to be in Bloomington this weekend. I hope you guys will be. If you're there, follow us on Twitter, because we will be posting where we're at. Uh, this is going to be a fun weekend. It's turdu. we got to be turdu.
1: Oh, man, I have not seen us beat down on turdue since... My senior year, senior night, I had incredible seats. We were like second row behind the basket. And myself and Jared Frank and Mike Frazier and Paul Barrera, we all dressed up in cow outfits (laughs) with udders. And that was uh, how we were dressed on our way to the bathroom when we ran into John Cougar Mellencamp. Oh, boy. We got our picture with John Cougar Mellencamp. Dressed as cows. Nice. Those pictures then ended up being on the top of our caps, of our caps and gowns. When you graduated. When we graduated, and our commencement speaker was John, John Cougar, Cougar Mellencamp. Mellencamp. God
2: yeah. damn it. The world just sometimes all the pieces fit together. <laughs> yeah.
1: In Bloomington, it happens more often than not. Well,
2: needless to say, I could not be more excited that we are going back to Bloomington. I just cannot wait.
1: Let's beat the shit out of the
2: Boilermakers. <laughs> I'm all
1: for it. Hey, you know, with our guest today, something I did not get to mention, I won't give away who he is because the audience will have no idea. Um, I read another interview with him going okay. back a few years, and the question was, what does Bobby Knight's red sweater smell like?
2: Hmm, interesting. Can
1: you guess what our guest responded when he was asked, what does Bobby Knight's red sweater smell like? Victory. He said, Donuts and Boilermaker Tears.
2: Oh, even better! <laughs> Great, right? Uh, too bad we didn't get to ask him about that. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. Let's get to it. Hoosier Hysterics.
3: Hoosier Hysterics.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of the Hoosier Hysterics. Wow. This one, we've been hoping and waiting and 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 thinking maybe we would get there, and it's here, and Eric, tell everybody about this man's myriad of accomplishments.
2: We are talking to a gentleman today who was an All-American, an AP All-American. We are talking to a gentleman who finished his IU career after three years, finishing 17th in scoring all-time and 9th in rebounds all-time. He is 10th all-time in double-doubles with 29 and 18 in Big Ten games. He is a multiple-time academic All-Big Ten award recipient. He was all Big Ten first team as a junior, all Big Ten second team as a sophomore, finished his career averaging 19 points and 8.7 rebounds a game, led the Big Ten in scoring and was second in rebounding his junior season. His single season scoring record ranks 14th all time, his single season rebounding ranks 16th all time, led Indiana in rebounding all three years that he was at IU. He was drafted in the first round by the Charlotte Hornets, We are also talking to somebody, by the way, who wore the same number as George McGinnis and Walt Bellamy. Pretty good legacy (laughs) in Indiana. Please welcome Congressman Kirk Haston.
0: I, I also, you left out, um, you know, there's a precipitous drop in the accomplishments after you. I noticed that you mentioned I uh, went to the NBA. Not a whole lot to talk about there. I will say <laughs> that the one stat that you left out is um, I had a chance to play against Jordan when he was with the Wizards, and me and MJ in a game. Uh, in Washington combined for 53 points in one game, and he had 51 of them. So that was one of my, big, You're, one of my more proud. Of, I, I still have that stat sheet at my house. I kid you not.
2: That is awesome. But, Kirk, you are jumping way ahead. It's going to be several hours before we get to that game. Like, we, we oh, go my in way. chronology. Uh, I did love um, just to jump to, to a different part here. i got to tell you, over the last few days to prepare for this, I got your book. Uh, Days of Night, which everybody, I also didn't mention in the intro, accomplished author. Any Indiana fan should go out and get this book. It is incredible. The stories that you tell about Coach, your time at Indiana, your childhood, you just paint such a vivid picture of what your life was like being at Indiana and growing up in Tennessee and, and, and your the stories of the NBA afterwards. It is just a treasure trove for any Indiana fan. So I highly recommend getting that.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Um, it was um, it. it uh, my mom was an English teacher, and fortunately, um, it had to be through osmosis because I didn't pay enough attention to English <laughs> class. But apparently, some of it some of it did rub off on me. But uh, that's very kind of you to say. So, Kirk, let's go
2: before we go back to the beginning. Let's just talk about uh, for any Indiana fan who's been living under a rock that doesn't know what you're doing now. Although I think it's been passed around on enough message boards, so everyone knows. Tell everybody what Kirk Haston is doing right now.
0: Uh, well, I'm I'm currently serving um, in the uh, General Assembly, uh, the Tennessee General Assembly, uh, as the District 72 State Representative. Uh, so, which means I, I represent um, uh, 65,000 people, basically, uh, is my district. Each district, each district is about 65,000 people, and um, and uh, and. I, I basically vote and make laws, which if you told me uh, 10 or 15 years ago, that's what my job would be uh, would be. I would have told you you were crazy. Uh, but uh, but so far, I enjoy going to work uh, each day uh, up to the Capitol in Nashville. And and uh, we've got some pretty interesting uh, things that are coming about that I'm excited about that um, that I, I hope can uh can help our education system possibly yeah, never mind I'm getting into tough no, it's well, good. well I mean I, 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 but I, I it's just uh, this is I'll just say this to get back kind of a basketball thing this is my first year since 19 well let's go back to high school my freshman year in high school was 94 this is my first year that I my I, I'm not either playing basketball or coaching basketball in some respects so this is kind of my first wow. year not being tethered to the game which is a little exciting and a little terrifying at the same time.
1: What What is it like day to day not having uh, a, a date with the gym and a basketball? Is it <laughs> Is it liberating, or you're like, "Wow, I, it, I can breathe without it."
0: There's some phantom pains, um, you know, because uh, you, you just um, probably my my most my most common reoccurring nightmare, and uh, and I just had another one of these about three nights ago. It, 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 probably about once or twice a month, I'll have a nightmare where in my dream, I am. I wake up and I'm late for practice. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like and, – and it's just this scramble of trying to get there and the car won't start and Coach Nott is waiting. And, you know, it's just like this nightmare. And so basketball is just kind of always on the back burner, apparently even in my subconscious. But, um, you know, that was kind of the – that was the deal I actually struck with my wife. Um, you know, I have three kids at home, and uh, my oldest just now started playing middle school basketball. And I had uh, I'd said, listen, if I run for this office and I, and I get it um, and I'm elected, then I will step down from coaching because i had been coaching at the high school for nine years. And so um, it it has been she told me not too long ago that I picked the kids up more from school this this past year than I had the other seven or eight years combined. Just because I when I, I still work at the, the the school system in Perry County, but I don't coach there. You know, I'm used to stand at the gym. I'm I'm used to being there from four to, to at least four thirty or five o'clock every day when this, we're in season. And if we have games, I'm getting home at eleven. So, uh, it's nice to um, you know, it's nice to leave school at three o'clock.
1: I heard you are going to be turning your attention to some individual workouts with said children.
0: <laughs> yes, that is that is true. Uh, uh, I actually just had uh, my daughter. She's she started her first year. Uh, she's starting junior pro this year. Uh, she just turned seven, and uh, and so I I a lot of times I'll take all three kids at the same time, but that kind of turns into chaos. And so I like doing more of uh, the individual workouts. And so we'll we'll go to the gym and. Uh, and uh and and just work individually and and they they kind of have a i think they they enjoy having not having their older siblings or younger siblings watch them as they're trying to, to do stuff because they they have a tendency i think to have more um freedom to try to try things and not be embarrassed and so we try to do kind of individual workouts as best we can and and uh um and one thing i'm trying my best to do uh you know my granddad was great about you know, just making practices and everything fun and, and not making it a, a grind or feel like a job. And I think that that really did help me kind of adjust well to, to Coach Knott's uh, demands is that I just had a, a, a healthy approach to it. And I'm hoping that I'm doing, I'm doing my best to try to do that with my kids. I don't I don't want to be the uh, – uh, I don't want to go the Earl Woods route necessarily. Right.
2: <laughs> so two political questions before uh, – not political questions, but questions about your political career before we go back to basketball. Number one. Right. You didn't just win your office, the seat that you're in. You crushed your opponent. I believe it was eighty-one percent. Yeah, that's pretty good. So here's a question yeah. for you: Well, that night, when the results are coming in, or you're getting word, how did that feeling of winning that election compare to winning big basketball games? Did was it at a similar adrenaline rush?
0: Yeah, that's a really that's a really good question because I, that's the first time I've been asked that. I, I'll tell you, there was actually there was two different, I'll give you two different uh, situations. The, the, the general election I, I won in a landslide, but I had a very tight primary race versus two other opponents where at the very beginning, uh, they both outspent me by uh, double. They both spent double what I did in my campaign and, and they both had uh, political backgrounds and I had a coaching background and a teaching <laughs> background. And so uh, I was basically told to pound sand early on and that um, there there wasn't a whole lot of hope. Well, uh, that that primary night in the primary, uh, we had people over and I had I I mean, I was really I was ready to just enjoy it being over or enjoy winning one way or the other. I was like, y'all come over. If I get beat, we still have a good night. We had 10 or 15 people over. And it ended up being one of the races that they talked a lot and showed the, a lot of the numbers on on the news because it was so close. And and with about sixty percent of the primary votes in, I was down by like sixty votes. You know, wow. where you're dealing with like thousands and thousands of votes, to being down sixty uh, is is just like crazy how close it was. Well, it ended up coming down. I think I ended up pulling ahead and winning the primary by a hundred and sixteen votes. Wow. And so. Uh, it, it just kind of all goes back to the little stuff along the way, much like in a basketball situation of things you kind of look at and maybe the little thing you picked up on a video. And I just thought one of the things I did during my campaign, since I didn't have a lot of money to spend, is I made this, uh, you know, deal. And this kind of like this thing. I'll keep up with people who keep up with it on Facebook is getting to a thousand houses by a certain date. And so I I visited a 1,000 homes, and I just thought, you know, if it had been 900 homes I visited, I might not have won. (laughs) You know, so uh, it's – but then – so that one was kind of – everybody was in a little bit of shock. A couple of my buddies had even told me, they were like, Kirk, we really didn't think we were coming over here to watch a win tonight. And I'm like, I understand. (laughs) And and so that one – That that night felt a little bit more like maybe you know like um, the Michigan State game or something where it's like you're you're not really expecting but it could happen and then you're it does happen you're still kind of surprised. And then um, and then the, the general election was kind of like, you know, about any time we played Penn State. You
2: know? <laughs> well, well, not and... this year. <laughs> well, not <laughs> this year. No, back,
0: back, bad example. Back,
2: really back, bad example back, back, for right back, now.
0: Back when back when we back when I was playing. Yeah, was, exactly. Penn State.
2: Exactly. And my last question about your political career Uh Tennessee is apparently a hotbed for celebrities to be running for office. You are not the only celebrity to hold a public office. The mayor of Knox County is none other than <laughs> Glenn <laughs> Jacobs, popularly known as Kane from World Wrestling Entertainment. I know you did get a chance to meet him.
1: There was a fateful encounter there, right?
0: Yes, it was uh, the first time I met him, and because uh, I, I I I grew up. Uh, we gathered from Monday Night Raw, and one of my friends may or may not have had it figured out where you could get the pay-per-views for free. I won't comment further on that, <laughs> but we watched a lot, and so I was always a wrestling fan, and so uh, I had to go up and talk to him and, and get and, and get a picture, and uh, you know, of course, they always kind of uh, you know they really trump up the the the. The heights and the weight yeah. of everybody, and so I'd, I'd, I'd always—I mean, he's a big guy. Don't get me wrong, but I'd always—you know—by the time that he's in the ring, people are all—they'll you know, they'll address him as like you know, seven foot from the bowels of hell or whatever. And <laughs> and, uh, and so I went up to him, and uh, and I I had I I'd probably have him by by an inch or two in height. And he, when we were getting our picture, he was he was like, "You may need to scratch down just a little bit for the photo." <laughs> I was like, what, whatever, man. I'll, not a problem, not a problem. But it was. It was a strange uh, confluence of events in Tennessee that um, you know when, when my my seat on the house floor at the Capitol was on the very back row and uh, and I looked behind me one one afternoon while we were in session uh, and, and and he was sitting right behind me that you know now I, I just turned around and we were, I was just sitting there and I was like, You know, this is such a weird world. You know, I've got it's 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 a former college and NBA player and a former WWE play or WWE wrestler just sitting next to each other on the House Chamber. Uh, It was uh, it was a it was a strange surreal moment.
2: By the way, just on the height thing, uh, I was a big WWE junkie as well. Loved it. Grew up watching wrestling with my dad. even Andre the Giant, who was genuinely a giant of a human, yes. when he came yes. to WWF and Vince McMahon back in the 80s would do interviews with him, Vince was very concerned with making sure that the image is what he wanted the image to be. When he would interview Andre, they would shoot it from the waist up and put Andre on a box. So it wasn't <laughs> enough that Andre was seven wow. feet tall. He wanted him seven foot eight. So he would always put him on a platform. Wow.
0: Always. Always. Ah, that's 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 great. I never had heard that. I, I, I love, I love all, especially the older wrestling stuff, um, and then and, and like the Andre the Giant documentary and some of that. It's just been, uh, I just, it's always a great trip down memory lane. I totally agree. So let's go down your memory lane.
1: Let's go all the way back to your childhood, and you'd already mentioned your grandfather and of course your mother. And how did they influence a young boy? Um, in, in finding his way to basketball, did, did it begin once you started getting tall or did it precede that?
0: Um, I, I always loved just competing. I, I guess baseball was probably the, my, my first love and, and probably now my last love will be golf. That's what mm-hmm. I really have kind of focused my practicing and stuff into now that I can't play as much basketball, but, but yeah, I, I think one of the neatest things, um, you know, I, I i was just always appreciated, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, about how after after good games or bad games, it just always felt the same uh, at the house or in the car ride home. Uh, it wasn't that, like my granddad was a basketball coach. Uh, he, he coached at Freed Hardeman University, played basketball at Lipscomb. Mm-hmm. uh was an incredible baseball player got offered to come to spring training with the new york giants but his dad wouldn't let him because he had to work on the farm and mm-hmm. and so he, he he had he had a some unique perspective and and they were just a perfect dynamic for me to kind of learn how to play enjoy playing and not get burned out on it it was um you know and i give my mom a lot of credit because she was a single mom uh my dad left when i was about five uh, or four uh and and uh she you know single mom she could very easily when i got up to high school said you have got to go get a job you've got to go mow yards you've got to go do something but she saw that i had some talent and uh and she said she she i remember her telling me she was like listen as long as you're going to the gym and you're putting in time working that is your summer job and i was like deal Mm. (laughs) and so i just um you know I, i i had you know, between my mom and the in the school system here where I grew up in Perry County, and then my granddad being a, a, a coach at um, and having connections at at, at, uh, at other gyms, I we had the key to like every gym within about a, a twenty or thirty mile radius, and we, uh, you know, and and just uh, worked on things, and and just granddad really did push me, but pushed me in a way that was uh, that was loving and was and it came from a from a good place, and um and and so that. That definitely cultivated my my love of the game and just the competition they were both just so competitive in everything and uh and that that I think is becoming more and more of a lost art is is uh is just people wanting to compete and uh, and, and compete uh, you know the right way and if it hadn't been for you know their the way that they approached uh, teaching me and coaching me and giving me the space to to want to play you know I would't have been able to do anything uh, like I was able to do at Indiana, and I don't think I'd have been able to to handle, you know, the the pressure that Coach Knight would put on you to test you, and I, I just think that, uh, uh, I, coming from it from a very healthy, uh, you know, a healthy background of of loving the game, uh, but but not being dominated by the game, uh, really did uh, put me in a good position to do that.
2: One of the great things about reading your book is getting to know your mom truthfully through the stories that you tell in the book, and there's one particular story that, if you don't mind, I'd love for you to recount for our listeners which is you, I think every Indiana fan remembers you as a tall, lanky, (laughs) muscular guy, not an ounce of fat on you, but that wasn't always the case for you growing up. And there's a story about your mom that is so endearing. If you could share it with us, I would love to hear it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, when I was in uh, seventh grade, we got new basketball uniforms and uh, for the Lovable Hornets. And, uh, and so that was always a big deal. And, once the eighth graders got to pick their numbers, the uh, you know the seventh graders would then get a chance to pick their numbers, and I was I thought I'd had some options, but I, I didn't. Basically, the coach threw the biggest jersey they had at me because in seventh grade I was somewhere in the neighborhood of about six two and probably around hundred and seventy pounds, if not more. And so um, he just threw me the biggest jersey they had and uh, and said, you know, you know, go try that on. And uh, I, 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 I think I told somebody, and I think I, I put it in the book that I probably should have been a, a billionaire that day because in the locker room when I after I tried on that jersey, I basically invented the Under Armour form-fitting shirt that very day. <laughs> Cause, I mean, it was it was just just like what they wear underneath the basketball uniforms in the NBA today. I mean, it was I mean, but it, but there was a lot of you know it was a lot of uh, bumps and valleys. It wasn't Dwight Howard or LeBron where it <laughs> went. And um, and so I was just terrified because, I mean, it, it's just, you know, it's bad enough when you're kind of big and you're you're that age, you're worried about everything from, you know, pimples to, you know, whatever. uh And, and, then, and now all of a sudden I'm going to I'm supposed to play basketball and I've got this, you know, you know, all, all the jiggles out there for all the world <laughs> to see, you know, and. And so I, I uh, you know, my mom could tell that something was wrong and, and that I was down about it when I got home and, uh, and I told her kind of what was going on. And she said, well, let me have the Jersey. And I said, all right. And so she, uh, she took it to, uh, um, I believe it was she took it to my aunt dot, uh, that was a, a, a you know, really good seamstress and, uh, uh, the school probably wouldn't appreciate this, but uh, she she said uh, pop, she had her pop the seams out and put about two inches of maroon fabric to match the jersey <laughs> on each side, to give me uh, to give me a little bit more square footage to breathe in and, and not to and, and and to leave at least a little bit to the imagination to all the fans in the stands and um, and so and it just changed everything. You know, it was just a it was one it was a really good example of how you know something really simple but something meaningful that just kind of for the rest of the season my mind was off of that and I could just worry about you know playing basketball but it was also a turning point and kind of how I realized that you know I I really needed to get in shape you know I just I just wasn't near ready and uh, and uh, and so it was it was a turning point in a lot of ways uh, for me to to kind of maybe uh get a little bit more motivation to get better for the uh the eighth grade year
1: and you're growing up in tennessee which i still equate more with the volunteers and football where where did basketball rank in the hierarchy of the the social order was it a a big deal or was it just something you were inclined towards
0: it's actually um, you're exactly right Tennessee uh, football and high school football is is um, you know it's it's much more you know uh, synonymous with with our culture than than in a lot of states except for maybe you know there's there's Texas and Florida and some mm-hmm. other ones would, would be up there too but yeah Tennessee football at high school especially is is uh, is king but Actually, in our area, we didn't have. I was a uh, class A school, and we didn't have football in my school. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, we were. Um, it's really, it's really amazing. Our school was actually the Tennessee version of Hoosiers, uh, the movie. But I, I may have the, the 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 original high school team right my, no, I think Milan. Yeah. In Milan, the end. you got it. Okay. So, so ours was we did not have classifications in Tennessee, um, in, uh, same same as Indiana. So in the in the uh, up until like the 70s, but in the 1950s, we had a team. Even though we only had about 100 students, 55, 56, 57, we won three uh, three state titles in a row wow. and be- beating. Beating teams from uh, Knoxville, beating teams from Nashville, and not just beating them, really beating them. Nice. And we had uh, we we had we had uh, an All American that went to Western Kentucky, Albert Ellison, and so that really was the the start. That was the impetus for the whole thing about the basketball culture in our county, and uh, and so that would be well enough alone. But but follow that up, it, it was it was a weird, it was an incredible twenty year cycle. So that happened in 55, 56, 57. Well in 76 77 uh, we have a kid named Mike Rhodes that ends up being an all-American at Vanderbilt and sets th- you know sets all kinds of records scoring records there uh, actually was uh, I think he was with the Spurs for the preseason but was an incredible talent was one of the best high school players he averaged 46 to 47 points a game as a senior <laughs> and and I've got I've got I've got the scorebooks in my office where like it would and there's no three point line uh, his games would be like 44, 62, 29, 44, 63. I mean, it was unbelievable, just an incredible shooter. And so they win the state title 76, 77. So there's that 20-year cycle. Well, then here comes 96, 97. That's my junior and senior year in the pressure zone. And uh, and so we, we get beat in 96 in the state championship game, and we go 30, and uh, we end up 30 and 3 my junior year. We get beat on the last-second shot, uh, or about three seconds to go, uh, we get beat in the championship game to lose the title. And next year, we came back and went 37 and 0 and won the title. And in the state tournament, uh, we won by 30 points the first game, 25 the next, and the championship we won by 35 points. So we wow. were we were trying we were trying our best to keep that 20 year cycle intact. And so it's it's a it's a real history here, and and that really does. Um, you know it puts pressure on you but it's also fun that you know you know it's it's not friday night lights here outside as much as it is tuesday night and friday night lights indoors and and we have just incredible crowds uh counties all around always want to to have our, our team's book because our, our fans travel so well. So it really is a kind of, it's, it, it really does remind me of a lot of schools in Indiana, the way that we treat basketball in this County. Uh,
2: I know you kind of skated past your junior year to focus more on the state title that you won, but in your book, you <laughs> did spend some time talking about that junior year because that missed last second <laughs> shot was a shot that you put up and, and obviously, it was a profound moment for you because it really, yes. really made you, you know, kind of take stock and, and and motivate you. Can you talk about what it was like going through that moment and how you dealt with it?
0: Yeah, it was actually that was the first time I'd ever taken a shot to win or lose a game. Was that junior year championship game? Uh, good, good timing, huh? And so um, <laughs> we're uh, we're actually it's it was a really strange confluence of events. We were down one with about five seconds to go, and had to go the full length of the court. And so, uh, we actually were trying to run the O'Brice Drew play uh, from uh, when they yeah. uh, mm-hmm. when Valpo won. And uh, and the inbounds guy overthrew me at half court and went over my head, and uh, and I didn't have a chance to catch it and hit our guard streaking down the sideline. And it went over my head, and one of the uh, the kids that, that we were playing a team called Boyd Buchanan. And they one of the one of the players from Boyd Buchanan catches the ball and immediately puts his hand in the air with the one and with his finger up and starts running with the ball and the officials correctly call a traveling and so uh, uh, and so I was like I cannot believe we're getting this chance so they put they put two they put like one point seven seconds or one point five seconds on the clock and we get the ball at half court. And it was just uh, they drew up uh, kind of a lob play, but the way they were playing, we I really couldn't get close enough to the rim for a lob. So it ended up being, you know, my point guard throws me a pass, and I catch it at about probably six or seven feet away from the goal on the on the baseline, and just you know as you're you know catch it and just shoot, type of you know try to do it as quick as possible. And um, I'll never forget when I got home that night. They had the they you know I watched the highlights on the uh, on the news and. When my shot hit one side of the rim and 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 the ball was over the the net, the red light of the backboard came on, and then the ball hit the other side of the rim as the light went off, and then it went off on the other side as a missed mm-hmm. shot. And, and, uh, and history and pressure and tradition, and you're having a great year, and and uh, and and to have have that and that the finality of that, and just know that it's so long until you so, that you get all the way back around to that point. Um, you know, I, I was incredibly down and then the next day uh my granddad came to the house and uh and said uh you know let's 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 go out to the courts and i was like i was not no mood to do anything basketball wise and so my granddad said no come on let's get to work and so we went out there to the outdoor basketball courts at Lobelville elementary and uh and spent an hour or so shooting and doing some drills and uh and and it was it wasn't as much about the basketball stuff but just the the approach and the the kind of the awareness that my granddad had to know that this was a, a very important teaching moment that you know, however you want to say it, you've you've just got to get you got to pick yourself back up and you got to go and uh, and that right there was really I think where the 37 and 0 season started at least for me because it was just um, a really. Um, I, I really don't know what what would have happened with you know kind of my career path of the next season if we'd have won it as a junior. And it was just like it all kind of if it had all come kind of that easy, I don't know I don't know what would have happened or if you, if that motivation or that drive comes there. So a lot of people, you know, will say like, you know, it's just the failures that really, you know, count. And I, I I'm a big believer in that. So sometimes, man, the, some of the hardest stuff you go through is, is absolutely the best thing that you, that can happen to you for your future development and what you can maybe turn that into helping others. So, uh, so it was a, it was a terrible thing to go through, but I, I don't know if I'd have gotten to the point that I would have my senior year if it hadn't happened.
1: Now, when you're growing up in Tennessee with a basketball rich tradition in your county, you did make mention of the movie Hoosiers. Uh, was the the mystique of basketball in Indiana something you were pretty aware of and uh, attracted to it all in your youth, or was it only later when Indiana came a calling that you kind of became aware and interested?
0: I, I always appreciated it. Um I, I I never was a uh I mean I I wasn't like a Hoosier fan or anything. I, I mean I, I just appreciated it, watched it, enjoyed it, and uh and I knew that I really wanted to go to a school that I wanted to go to a, a quote unquote basketball school. I just I, I I came from a basketball school. Um it would have been hard. I, I was really close and, and, and really to the point where I was talking to coach O'Neill about committing to Tennessee because I was really, and this was just my own, you know, poor judgment in my own, in my own kind of like, you know, being an only child from a small town, I was just terrified about leaving the state looking back. It's just silly because going (laughs) to Knoxville, is about the same as driving to Bloomington. You know, it's not that (laughs) big of a difference but i just like leaving the state just terrified me you know by myself and so i was like i wanted to go to vanderbilt or i wanted to go to to tennessee i even took a visit to western kentucky because at least that's you know not too far (laughs) and uh and so and so it really took tennessee telling me you know i I called him before my senior year started and i was interested in committing and coach o'neill said kurt uh, we would love to have you, but we've actually had so many people commit. We don't. We really aren't going to have the scholarships for you that we thought we were going to have, and and so that really kind of shook shook me to reality and be like, listen, I've got to start thinking elsewhere. I, who cares how far it is? Let's just think of a good situation. And so I decided not to sign early or commit early and just play out my senior year and, and see what happened after after the senior year or as the senior year progressed. And um, and as it turned out, Coach O'Neill at. at um, at Tennessee is the one that called Coach Knight and said, listen, there's a kid down here that we really like that I think – he said, I know you don't recruit down here very much, but I think he would fit what you do really well. You should come take a look. And so because of that phone call, that's what sent, um, you know, the, an assistant coach down to one of my practices from Indiana, and then that was that's what brought Coach Knight to Clifton, Tennessee, which was the smallest the smallest school in our district that we were playing at that he came to watch me for a half um and uh and and what was that like yeah you got to talk to us (laughs) about
2: what that was like when the town found out that uh it was
0: it it was one of the funnest nights um my my high school coach uh bruce latin uh had told me that coach Knight was planning on coming and i mean and we're we're talking about like in our area if you know, it, it doesn't take much if if uh if a country music singer that's been on the radio one time is coming to the Commodore Hotel to play a song. It's something like him into our area was just you know would blow people's minds, but we weren't we weren't supposed to tell anybody, and we didn't tell anybody because if something happened and he didn't show up, it was just and 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 I don't think he wanted the attention, and so you know we we hadn't really said anything to anyone except for a couple of people, and so we get over there and we always have a pretty good crowd because we've got a good team that year. And, uh, but it wasn't a full it really wasn't a full gym that night. Um, they have like an old school gym with like the, um, the stage on one end. And I remember <laughs> yeah. during the girl the girls' game was before before ours. They had the old wood bleachers where it's like like the, they don't go in and out. They're just wood bleachers. They're just big boxes, you know and, sure. and so we're there. And, uh, and on the stage is actually a, uh, an assistant coach from Ohio State that had come in to watch me play. And I know that for a while he thought that he was like the, the big man on campus in the gym. But uh, <laughs> so during the, during the girls game, um, I, I keep watching the door and, and nothing's happened. No, nobody's come in. And, um, and so I go on to the locker room and I'm stretching and, and uh, getting ready and, you know, got my headphones on listening to, you know, uh, I probably Coolio's Gangsters Paradise in ninety seven. Hey, that's your buddy. Was
2: that was, it, was that your hype song? Was that what would get you? That hyped? was
0: well. I just I think that was my first CD, and I think that's probably the only one I had for a while. So <laughs> I think that was uh, it. Was probably uh, uh, that or uh, you know Collective Soul, something like that. But wait, anyhow,
2: did you have? Uh, wait, I gotta know though. Did you have like the yellow Sony
0: Walkman CD thing? Like, was that your not? My, mine was a silver oh, uh yeah. you had to have the mine was the silver one but it was you know the anti-skip kinds. you know yeah. you had to have the anti-skip on yeah. you know because if that button wasn't pushed you couldn't ride the bus right. uh, it was just skipping and we'll, uh, we'll later
1: we'll later we'll get to your interaction with coolio i read about but let's let's <laughs> oh, stick yeah. with coach knight I, for now
0: man I, I had forgotten that yeah but uh so you know, as the guys are coming in the locker room, I just keep uh, waiting for somebody to have a, you know, like tell me or say somebody they saw, but nobody says anything. So we finally go out and we're in warm ups, and I'm kind of getting disappointed because, you know, he's not there. And then all of a sudden during warm ups, there's this crazy buzz in the crowd. People are leaving and, and, and like going out to the concession stand, and I didn't know what was going on. And like there was just like this buzz, and people were just talking and moving. And finally, I never, I never, I never saw him that night. I actually never saw him came in. I never could spot <laughs> him where he was sitting. I never saw him. But, but one of my teammates, Blake Warren, who I, I talked to today, he's a goofball that I golf with a lot. <laughs> but he was on, he was on the team. And there's always one guy like this on the team. He would come through the layup line, and he'd be like, "Ooh, Coach Knight's here! Don't mess up! Don't mess <laughs> up! Your futures, your futures on the line!" You know, he just kept saying that. And uh, and so, but the first half, it went great. I had a good, I mean, we started off with a, a lob play that went perfect, and I ended up, I think, at the half, I had, I think, 18 points and, and, and 12 rebounds at the half, and it went really well. But he left and, and never did say anything to anybody. And, um, and what I found out later, everybody was going out to the pay phones because there was no cell phone service back then or barely any cell phones. They were going out to the pay phone and calling people in town, telling them to come to the game if they weren't coming already because Coach Knight was there. And so we ended up having probably an extra two or 300 people from, from the town coming in uh, after that, that word had gotten out. But anyhow, uh, the next day we hadn't heard anything, and I'm in the English class, Miss uh, Ezel's English class, right after lunch. And I get called to the principal's office. And uh, I pick up the – as I said, you got a phone call in the principal's office. And I just go in, I pick it up, and, and it's Coach Knight, And then and I learned this later after you talked to him on the phone. He's never one for pleasantries. He's not going to ask how you are. He's not going to say – he's not going to say, you know, saw you. He just – it was like mid-conversation. He's like, Kirk, I was there last night. Um, I'd like for you to come play for us. And, uh, and I just said, Coach, if you think that I can play for you, then I'd like to play for you. And he said, we'll send you the paperwork. Click. And so it was like <laughs> – it was it was literally probably a minute twenty second conversation that I made like this life choice without really even talking it through. Never took a visit. I never saw him that night. Never met him. Never, and I just was like, it just felt right. And so uh, I went down to the payphone and I called my mom and told her what I was doing, and she was excited about it. Um, and, uh, talk to my granddad who's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's just turned 91, uh, in October and he's still full-time preaching at the congregation here at, uh, Linden that I go to. And, and, uh, and so he's, he's been a minister for over 50 years. And so I, I went to him cause he's a basketball coach. I thought my granddad's going to be so excited. I said, granddad, I said, um, I've made it decision, I'm going to go to Indiana and play for Coach Knot, and my granddad said, well, he sure does cuss a lot, <laughs> and I was like, yes. I said, that, that's exactly right, and so, but he, he warmed up to him afterwards, and he actually ended up even coming down and staying uh, in, in Tennessee with my granddad at the house, uh, but it, it, was, uh, it was a strange story to to go from uh you know not being you know not being recruited by indiana and then being offered a scholarship after a half of basketball and uh and and being pulled out of english class and just committing
2: well now we know we have kevin o'neill to thank for you winding up at indiana so he shoots to the top of our (laughs) non-indiana coach favorite coaches in the world but there was also someone else who was responsible for you ending up in indiana that was very close to coach Knight when cuz i believe indiana was recruiting two people yes. for one position can you talk that, about that boy,
0: you, yeah man you you have you have done your research that was actually uh his wife miss karen uh who who uh I, I just texted not too long ago we we've, we've kept in touch oh, that's great. and um uh, she uh she was a, a a hall of fame basketball coach a hall of fame girls basketball coach in oklahoma i believe it was oklahoma and, um, and she, uh, she had come with him that night to watch the game. And coach Knight really does respect her basketball opinion. And, and so they were looking at me and one other uh, guy that they were thinking about recruiting another post player and she had seen them both. And so they were, they, they were in the car going back to the airport, uh, after the, the, the game and Clifton, uh, and he said, well, what do you think this Hasting kid or this other kid we're looking at? And she goes, I think you need to go after this Hasting kid. And so she was the, uh, uh, he told me that later um, while I was uh, at Assembly Hall, uh, we were working out, and uh, and he she, he told me that story. He's like you you know because she was down there at the gym. She he goes, you know that she she's one of the reasons why you came here. And I was like, really? So he told me that story uh, at Assembly Hall one day.
2: Now the without question for Indiana fans, the best part of this story is that Coach Knight offered you the scholarship and you took him up on it. The second best part of this story is who you had to call to tell him you weren't coming to his
0: school. Tell us about that. That is, that is true. I, I was pretty nervous about that call. Um, I'd, I'd actually uh, already been offered a scholarship from uh, Purdue oh. and uh, they, they were, they were first, uh, you know, they, they were actually on me, you know, uh, before Indiana was uh, Michigan state was too, but, but Purdue, Purdue was there first with an offer and, uh, and, and so I was, uh, at one of my buddies' uh, uh, basements that we'd go over and play pool at and everything. And I told him, I said, I just kind of been waiting and waiting. And, um, uh, and, uh, I was like, guys, I, 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 really need to make a phone call. Y'all mind giving me the basement, you know, uh, it was, um, and, and it was like one of these movies where the president's like, I need the room, you know, I was like, <laughs> I, I really, I was like, guys, we, you know, we just got through playing some, you know, like screw your buddy or whatever yeah. day eight ball. we were And I was like, I, I need, I need to the basement so they left and um and then you know back then I had to dig out my old calling card everybody had like you know minutes on a calling card or whatever so I got my got my calling card out and dialed um and dialed uh, the number and and got coach Katie on the phone and told him that uh uh that I was going to sign with Indiana and he said that's he's like He's like, I understand, Kirk, but just realize from this point on, the rest of your life, I'm going to root like hell against you. And I said, <laughs> I said, I, under- I understand, Coach. <laughs> and so that was uh, that was the end of. Uh, and Coach Katie's relationship.
1: That's fine. You 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 ended up much in a much better place. I do wonder if he showed up during your your primary down there, and he was like, you know, <laughs> knocking on doors against you.
0: <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that was that was something my opponents probably should have tapped into.
1: Now you you not only went thirty seven and O your senior year to win the state championship, you were also named Tennessee's Mister Basketball. Uh, what did that that mean to you? And and knowing you were at this point going off to Indiana, you know, to play college ball, w- was it was it something where uh, you you always knew you would go back to Tennessee, or was that kind of like, yeah, I'm I'm going out on top?
0: Uh, well, the the Mr. Basketball thing was just it was it was nice validation just for the the entire. You know, kind of the entire family because it was just, you know, they were all there for it. We didn't have an AAU team near us, so we had to drive to Franklin, Tennessee, uh, two nights a week for practices, which was, uh, you know, uh, like an hour and 20 minutes. And, you know, she's a she's teaching all day, and then on a Tuesday night, she's got to drive over to a, a Rinky Dink gym in Franklin for practice for two hours and then drive back. And she did that all the time. And, uh, they, you know, they would drive to these camps and these, uh, tournaments and um and so i think my my winning that was 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 nice for everybody um but nothing you know nothing was nothing came close to that you know that family picture that i've got with me and my uh my mom and my granny and my granddad holding the the state championship trophy so there there was two things that 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 was really nice just family experience and and uh and those those two are on the top of the list in high school
2: So doing your recruitment backwards, you commit to Indiana, and then you go take your first official visit to Indiana. Tell us about the first time you stepped foot on campus, who was like the guy from the team leading you around, and what (laughs) Bloomington was like for a small-town kid from Tennessee.
0: (laughs) Well, I actually was— quite surprised I was pleasantly surprised by just the way Bloomington felt I still like to this day when we go up there and I take I just went up for the Michigan State game and I took some friends and and everybody that I've always taken up there just you know they're just kind of amazed at kind of the what the the town feels like it's just kind of like this is where a major university is and it's like yeah isn't it great <laughs> and, and it's really it's really strange to basically get off you know when we get off interstate people always think, well, we're here, you know, like, no, you've got to go to a place called Nashville, uh, you know, Indiana. And, you know, there's like, it, it, it's we're still about 45 minutes or 50 minutes away. And they're like, what? And, and, uh, but, but, uh, and, 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 but it's such a, you know, I, we, were t- we were we were keeping count of the barns that had uh, basketball goals on them. We were driving uh, this past uh, you know week this last last time we went to Michigan State game, and it's just like it's just it, it's true what you hear about Indiana and Indiana basketball. It's true. You know, there's there's the barns and the basketball goals, and and so um, you know it, it, when I first got there, uh, I actually when I got into town, uh, I was picked up and and came into Assembly Hall. It was probably about seven or eight o'clock at night. And they're, you know, parking lots empty, and they're like, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna go to assembly hall, and show you the, the, court, and so I get there, the assistant coach that picked me up, I think it was Ron Felling at the time, picked me up, and we, uh, we go down to assembly hall, and uh, they take me in. And Coach Knight meets us at the door. So it's just like me and Coach Knight and the assistant coach are going into Assembly Hall and they have the lights turned on. And it's just, you know, us sitting in there or standing on the court looking up at all the seats. And, and, and uh, Kirk, this is I, the
2: first time you have really met Coach Knight, right? This is your first real face-to-face yeah. encounter with him.
0: The the first time I ever met him in person was at the front door of Assembly Hall. <laughs> and uh and, and and so we go down, and, you know, the first time I'm on the court, it's, I'm standing on the court with, with Coach Knight just looking up at the uh, – and I just remember the thing that struck me the most about Assembly Hall was watching games on television. That you could only see, like, the lower level of seats. You never got a full feel on television of the size of that place. And so when I was in there, I just remember thinking, like, this – I can't believe how many seats. I, this thing goes up to the roof. With seats, I just like <laughs> – how in the world am I going to play in a, in a place that has this many, it just blew my mind. I just didn't realize the scope of it. Watching it on TV did not serve it justice at all. And, uh, and then, um, it really devolved after that because I I was staying for the next two nights with Michael Lewis. And so that was, um, you know, having Michael Lewis as my chaperone that, that, they're lucky, Indiana. Indiana's kind of fortunate that I stayed because no, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, you're right. You're I, right. We've I, talked to I, Michael. I really, we get it.
2: Uh,
0: uh, he's man. He hadn't changed at all. Like I got. I. 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 I talked to him probably uh, three or four weeks ago, and it's just like talking to him back then. Like it's just straight to the point, brash, and uh, he told me later he thought I was kind of a loser because he was <laughs> like, it was. The, he said I was the easiest recruit they ever hosted because. I never wanted to go anywhere. I didn't want to go in any parties, and all he, all that all I wanted was just some 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 chicken fingers. And so they would just like go across the street and get me a box of chicken and just leave me. And so I just watched movies and ate chicken. It's basically what I did. <laughs> I um, did.
2: I did read that it was Buffalo's. You got some Buffalo's. Oh yeah. Oh
0: it was. Oh yeah. I was. I was. I was. I was full. Buffalo's and McCree's Deli were my oh, two places. McCree's. I, I, McCree's I, I is not there McCree's. anymore. Me too. I, I know. I know. It crushed me. They used to have a deal at McCree's where uh, it was a secret deal that if you went in and asked for the worst seat in the house, you got a free meal. And it got passed around so much that they finally had to get rid of that. <laughs> uh, so
2: They had the uh, best potato chips. That's what I remember. I think they was, did, like, homemade potato chips, and they were so yeah, good.
0: It was great. I, I loved I loved that place a lot. Uh, ate, ate, ate there in Buffalo is probably the most. Nice.
1: Uh, so... You 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 were starting to. Shall we just jump to you now? Actually being on campus, yeah. you're moving. You've moved to Bloomington. It's what will end up being your your redshirt freshman year, and you start to uh, actually play basketball with some of these guys who are your your now teammates what were your impressions of some of the guys both the, the upperclassmen and your fellow freshmen coming in did you did you feel right at home like yeah i'm i'm where i belong or was there some adjustment and maybe intimidation
0: oh yeah i i really felt i really felt out of my depth at, at first uh you know it it took me a long time it it was it was probably well into you know when we got about mid-year practices is when i really felt like and it was probably just the conditioning and the strength as much as it was anything else but also a mix of confidence before i really started doing things in practice that i i was like i i can i can do these things that they're doing and i can do some of these things better than they're doing and it, it took a while to get there uh but i i just wasn't I wasn't physically ready, you know, I, I just wasn't. I we did, I didn't have the conditioning program at our high school like they would now. You know, we our weight room was basically a clothes rack. You know, we just you know, people <laughs> threw their jackets on the dumbbells. It wasn't anything anything like it is today training-wise. And, and so I was behind. Um, you know, I I had some some good skills that luckily the the coaching staff believed in long-term if they could add the the, the muscle to it and the and the conditioning to it that the skills would would come through. Uh, in the end, so I appreciate them having some foresight. But, no, I was, you know, man, I, you know, Jason Collier was, uh, yeah. was was Michael Lewis's roommate, and you're talking about a specimen. I mean, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to compete against? <laughs> I mean, he was just like – He was seven foot and just chiseled and, you know, could, could jump and move. And, and, you know, and I was looking and there's Andre Patterson had like 39 points against Duke. I mean that, like, it was just these, these Adonises and I was just like this frumpy freshman and I was just like, man, by the Uh, way, not to mention,
2: not to mention William Gladness, six foot eight, you know, upperclassman, big dude. You had Robbie Eggers, six foot 10 senior Mandeville.
0: Yeah. Larry. Larry Richardson, Mandeville. I mean, it was just that—that that was one of the reasons they, that I was registered. Is they really had a a, a just a a ton of, of, of people, you know, in the in the power forward and center position, and they really needed to you wanted to clear them out and have and have a, me with a full four years potentially after. So I completely was I was for it. I had no issues with it at all because I, I I I was you know I think some people get disappointed when they come to them. Uh, and say we're going to redshirt you, and I, I really felt like I needed it. Like I thought it was the absolute best thing for me, and had, and had. I mean, it was, it's always a little disappointing because you're ready to go, but I, I deep down I knew that it was, it was. I needed some time.
2: So before we move on to the to the next year when you actually get to start to play, I want to go back to your mom for a second because we already yeah. went through the story of her giving you the the jersey and and being a good mom and making her son feel comfortable, but she also gave you a good piece of advice before you left tennessee to go live in bloomington <laughs> to make sure that you could remember all the amazing experiences you were going to have and coming from the english teacher this is very appropriate yeah what did your mom tell you to do before you got to bloomington
0: she uh she she did when we uh i guess it was about the last you know they she would ride with me to like nashville and then we would eat and then and then i would and then i would head on up and so she gave me before I left uh, for like my final little trip to be up there for a long time. Uh, she gave me a journal and she just said, you know, make sure that you write some of this stuff down that happens, you know, cause you're going to want to remember this stuff one day. And I was like, eh, whatever. And, and, and so, but I, I started doing it and started writing more and more stuff down and yeah. And that, if I hadn't had that and some of the notes that I would take in our red books, there's no way I would have remembered all the stories and little one-liners and things, you know, years later. So it was, uh, as usual, you know, I, I told people like, uh, you know, even even way past the, you know, the, the years that you think that you could uh, do something with uh, any of these materials, like, you know, my mom is still helping me out because of her record. And how much great advice.
1: And how much, obviously, it's great when you're writing a book or or you just want to go back and be nostalgic. But at the time, was it was it therapeutic? Did it help you to have an outlet like that to deal with some of the stuff that was going on?
0: Yeah, it it was. um, You know, I I think that um, I think it was really healthy to be able to it, it, was, it was a good way of compartmentalizing, which I, I learned was just such a crucial part of college, period, whether you're playing sports or not. But it was just a really important part of being able to, like, you've got, whether you had a bad game or bad practice and got yelled at Coach Knight or not, the next day, you've got to show up and work out in the weight room, and you've got to show up and perform in the classroom, and if you're going to let what, you know, a a bad practice and, and some criticism, you know, filter into everything else, then you're going to be miserable. And I think that that was, you know, you know, that's, you know, you can apply that to about anything, but it really did help me in college to kind of have that outlet of being like, you know, I'm, I'm putting this down in here. I, I experienced this. This is what happened and let's go on to the next one. You know, and that, that there, there was a nice, you know, figurative and literal turning of the page with, with hmm. that process, it probably helped.
2: So Kirk, in your, fresh, your redshirt freshman year, when you aren't playing and you're just in practices and you're conditioning, do you remember, was there a moment when you went from hearing about the genius and legend of Coach Bob Knight to now you're in there playing for him, was there a moment or a story that you remember where you it clicked for you how good he was?
0: I I think that it really to me it really came out in watching what he saw in, in going through our film sessions. And and not not I mean would, like it blew my mind how we would study our practice film. And and, and I was like, This is unbelievable. Like we, we watched some game film in high school, but we didn't analyze practices and, and that's where I started seeing I mean it was like you know it was like watching one of these old youtube clips of like bob ross painting on pbs you know all of a sudden there's, <laughs> it's just this blank canvas and all of a sudden there's there's happy trees and mountains everywhere and it looks real and <laughs> believable and 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 so you'd see coach not like, by the okay, way Kirk, uh, just real quick yeah.
2: i cannot think of two more opposite human beings than bob knight and bob ross Hey, I mean that well, is just listen, perfect to put them to the same well, world. But wait, wait,
1: both oh, that, with both with military backgrounds, and both came to fame in the state of Indiana.
0: Oh, all right, there you go. Hey, hey, we might be onto something here. Uh, <laughs> we need to die, both made Bob that rabbit hole a little bit more. Uh, so, so, uh, so yeah. So seeing seeing him with this basically this this blank you know uh screen this projection screen and this film on it that everybody's everybody's seeing the same thing but you realize that he's seeing it differently than everybody else and you're just you're seeing like the angles and the uh anticipation and the thing and and so it i learned so much about how to play the game sitting in a dark room in the locker room watching film with him probably more so than i did on the court that first year
1: Mm. And is a lot of that also watching him work with the other big men who've been in the system for a couple of years? And you're like, oh, that's where he's gotten them to. And maybe I can try to get myself there a little more quickly because you're getting this whole year to basically observe and participate in practice, but without the pressure of of performing in a game.
0: Yeah, I I think that the, the, the one thing that and I'm I'm a I'm a I'm kind of a tinkerer and a, and a and kind of curious about like test you know trying techniques and doing things whether it's golf or basketball and I I think that he may have picked up on it and, and just or saw I I tell you something that he saw that I, that that just changed everything for me was that he'd watched the the way I I, I made moves and did the basketball drills in the post and and he just came to me one day and he said you need to learn the sky hook shot yeah. it'll be perfect for you and I was like, the what? I said, <laughs> like the, I was like, I was like the Kareem shot. And he was like, yeah. He says, he's like, I'm going to, we're going to show you how to do it. And we're going to get you doing it. And I was like, this guy's crazy. What is he talking about? And, and so, um, you know, he actually, he, he, and, uh, um, he got, um, Pete Newell in one day, Pete Newell came in wow. for like a week, one day. And, and Coach Knight had had me working on it for about three or four weeks or so before Coach Newell was coming down because he was wanting Coach Newell to work with me. And I guess from like the first two or three times he saw me try it, he was just like, yeah, this is what this is what you got to work on. And I was like, OK. And so that freshman year, if I'd been getting prepared for games and, and scouting my opponents, I wouldn't have ever had a chance. Like I threw thousands of those skyhook shots, thousands and thousands and, and and just worked on different angles and different and. Um, and he couldn't. He couldn't wait for Coach Newell to see it. And so it was like it was like a present that he had for Coach Newell. And so Coach <laughs> Newell got there, and we were you know working out. And for people that, that are listening that don't know, Coach Newell is just a legendary post basketball. I mean, especially with post, but legendary coach. But worked with all kinds of post guys over the years, Hakeem and David Robinson. But anyhow, uh, he, he came in, and, and Coach Knight was like, you know, Kirk, you know, showing what we've been working on and so the manager threw me some passes and I I I would I would turn and and uh and elevate and, and roll that you know kind of sweep the hook shot and and Coach Neal just loved it, you know. it was mm-hmm. like Coach Knott had, had had found this little present to give him, you know. Like, look, look what we're working on, and and so uh, that that was uh, that that was another thing that that was some vision that he had that I would have never I would have never in a million years ever worked on having that shot in my arsenal, which which gave me a lot of options going forward. Um, if if he had if he had not suggested it and seen it,
2: just to stay on that point for one second because it's just so incredible. I mean, Pete Newell is a coaching legend and a basketball legend, but his attachment to the Skyhook specifically goes a little deeper than just being a basketball guy. Pete Newell was the GM of the Los Angeles Lakers uh, in the right, mid-70s, right. and Pete That's Newell traded for a gentleman by the name of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> Pete Newell yeah. brought the Skyhook to Los Angeles, and <laughs> and so That's you true. you like auditioning your skyhook for the guy who is like the grandfather of the skyhook I mean it is just it is did you ever have a moment when you were there and I know you're just trying to get better and survive that's what we've heard from so many players who played for coach Knight that you don't have perspective you're just trying to survive each practice and compete but did you have any perspective then to go this is unbelievable I I am not uh, only playing for the greatest coach ever but he's bringing in legends to to help me
0: it it really uh, there was there was all kinds of moments like that with with Coach Newell and and when Isaiah Thomas came in and I tell you another one that's kind of a an odd one and uh, and I apologize in advance this is this actually this is exactly what this this young lady said to me if she was lying and and we find out that there's like people research that this this family history doesn't exist then I apologize but I'm just saying what happened I came to the gym one day and uh and we'd always have like students or like fans that were just trying to like look in the gym or peek around that were just kind of wandering through assembly hall and one day i came down and there was a a young lady that was about my age that was like at the big giant assembly hall doors that goes right into the gym and she was kind of trying to peek through and i was getting ready to go out and she goes she recognized me and she said oh my granddad, you know, he's he's really enjoyed uh, your, your your game and and you know says to keep throwing that sky hook and I was like oh that's cool she goes my granddad's George Mikan and I was like what? Oh, <laughs> wow and so. I apologize if, if at some point she could have just been absolutely lying to me or, or whatever. That's a deep cut. Yeah, she would deep She really knew he her has, stuff. <laughs> if well, she either she either had done the research to try to to con me into something or or <laughs> or that was one of the coolest things. And so I apologize if maybe he he, he may not have any children. I well, wait, know, I, just gotta ask, children. I just got to ask. I just got to ask Kirk. But, that woman but,
2: that woman isn't your wife today, is she?
0: No. okay no, all right no, then we're no, okay, that then not, we're okay.
2: That <laughs>
1: hopefully a listener maybe us after this podcast will Google if George Mikan's granddaughter went to IU because that's something we should all know
0: <laughs> it is something we should know well that that if is not incredible. it was if not it was just a if not it was just a random a random attempt to to maybe uh to get in assembly hall and get a tour I don't know uh,
2: I, I'm sure we're going <laughs> a little bit out of order but since we're on this topic of just these kind of amazing encounters can you please tell us the first time that you met Isaiah Thomas?
0: Oh, yeah, that was, uh, I I tell you, I was talking to a friend the other day that when I, when I think back, I, and i really feel like I've had like this almost like Forrest Gump like basketball life where it's just (laughs) like these weird things where I have no business being in the room or around some of these people. And all of a sudden I'm just like in this weird interaction, you know, but anyhow, yeah, I, I, I came into assembly hall one day and, um, I'd gotten there a little bit early and was going to the training room, and um, this this gentleman next to the door of the training room blocking it using the phone down in the basement. Uh, and, and I was just like, look looked like somebody from the administration or from the athletic department. And I was, you know, I was big man on campus. And I was just kind of like, what is this guy down in this suit down here blocking? I mean, we're basketball players on Indiana's campus. We need, you know, we need our training room. Get out of my... So, I, you know, I kind of put my hand on his shoulder and was like, excuse me. You know, and, and he was, he turned around and of course it was Isaiah Thomas and he was just smiling. He goes, <laughs> oh, sorry about that. <laughs> I was just like, no, it's okay. It's you know. Let, let me, let me, let me get my shake out of the refrigerator, and I'll get out of the way. And so I, I, I quickly just you know just you know like a slug got out of the way of the legend. And uh and he, he later that day you know he coach Knight would bring former players in to to talk to us in the locker room, and uh you know and he he of course talked to us in the locker room, and uh, and we thought well oh, that was great. We thought that was the end of it. And then we're getting ready. We go out and we're getting ready for practice, and we turn around and and Isaiah Thomas is coming out and he's got he's got our practice shorts on and he's got a number 11 practice jersey on and I'm just like this is incredible. This is bizarre. <laughs> and uh, and so they they divided up the teams and we you know we played you know he played five on five versus us. and I think at that point he was somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 37, 38. Um, you know, definitely not in his prime, but I'm telling you, he definitely was not. Uh, he, you wouldn't have been watching that, that game or that practice, that scrimmage, and thought, well, what is that guy doing on the floor? You would actually been thinking, where did that new recruit come from? I mean, it was pretty, it was, it was pretty remarkable experience to to go through that and and to kind of like uh, the the, the the other weird thing that I had that was similar to that. Wait, you, wait before you
2: before you move off of Isaiah, because you did talk about sure. it in your book a little bit, wasn't there a moment at the end of that scrimmage where AJ Guyton was being guarded by Isaiah with a chance
0: to like yeah, win there, the game? There ended up being like this uh like uh you know, AJ had the ball and there ends up being this loose ball situation where the the you know the the like Isaiah like reaches for it and the ball gets loose for a second and and like as soon as like aj is trying to turn and pick up the ball and and you know thinks that sure I, this is a clear pickup and, and isaiah dives on the floor to get the ball and wow. you're just like <laughs> i'm like what i mean this and and you know at that point in time i think that you know coach knight was just beyond proud i mean he was just like he that's what he wanted us to see was that you know, uh, you know, when, when, when even, you know, greatness is, is in the consistency of effort, you know, that's, that's mm. where greatness is. It's, it's not in the talent and it's not in the one or two moments that you might have. It's like consistently given that effort, you know, and that, that, that was something that was a, a, a neat, a neat moment in time for me as a basketball player.
1: I want to put that on my children's bedroom wall. Greatness that's... is in the consistency of effort like that. That is incredible. So what
2: was the other story you were going to tell? The Isaiah thing reminded oh, you of something.
0: Yeah, my, my continued my Forrest Gump trails. I, yes. I was playing in a. Uh, there's these there's these kind of like um, you know really low key uh, you know pickup games that happen in the NBA you know and I I didn't get into a lot of the high level ones but like uh, every now and then you know we'd have like an off season new, we'd be in New Orleans and they'd be like we're going to meet at this. Uh, random gym gymnasium on, on some campus and, and just be there at like three o'clock and you just show up and you never knew who would be there and so we I got there one day and it was like uh it was you know Jamal Mashburn and me and Baron Davis of course I mean that that's you know the kind of the local people but then there was like Mahmoud Abdul Raouf was there and Jonathan Bender and you're just like it's some college guys that were up and coming and you just got these pickup games going on in this just you know, little rinky-dink gym and we're we're going we're just battling back and forth playing games. And I look over and Larry Bird walks in, oh. and I'm like, "You have got to be kidding me! What what planet is this?" And <laughs> of course, you know, at, at that point he's not there to play, but he'd come. Uh, you know, he had come uh, to to watch Bender play, and it was like, "That's," I said, "That's dedication uh, as a GM." I, I think that um, I don't think he was the coach at the time, and, and so he'd come in to I guess catch up with with uh, Bender or watch him, and so. It was just amazing to see, even among guys of that level and that caliber of talent, like how people started playing and, like, you know, and just the effort that was given and just the respect afterwards of people going over and talking and, and, uh, and I was way down the totem pole of the people that were there, but I just made sure I was like, I was like, I've got to at least shake the. That was holding it up after the three-pointer competition, you know, so I I had to go over and I forget exactly what I mumbled, but I at least went over and shook his hand and, uh, and just, just to be able to say that I did.
2: (laughs) Well, okay. Again, we're skipping around and I promise we're going to get to your first game playing for Indiana, but we've hit Michael Jordan that you talked about at the beginning. We just hit Isaiah Thomas. We've now hit Larry Bird. And I know you have a Magic Johnson story. So the four <laughs> greatest players from that era,
1: and then I want to hear the Coolio story.
0: <laughs> oh my words! So yeah. and then the Coolio story. So let's real well, quickly uh, tell us the Magic story. All right, I'll I'll try to be quick on it. We were no, you don't have to be quick for us. We're here oh, forever. Where well, <laughs> we uh we were playing in the uh uh we were playing in Ma- in Maui in the Maui Classic, and uh, our trainer would always take us for a pregame walk outside. Um, and usually those pregame walks were outside in Michigan and Iowa and you know in you know in West Lafayette places you don't want to go outside in. But this one, we were we were you know Hawaii we're going to take a walk around the pool. This is this is more of an outdoor walk. So we're walking and uh, and we're walking by the pool and uh, we look over and uh, Magic Johnson is is laying out next to the pool and he just he just sees us walking and he looks over the rail and he says. He was like, "Good luck tonight, guys. We'll be pulling for you." And I was like, "Oh my word, I'm I'm two feet from Magic Johnson." And so we get, we go in, uh, uh, we go into the team meeting. Uh, we go into breakfast, I think, or something the next day. I forget the exact timeline. And and he, Coach Knight had finally, he had heard. He was like, "Tim told me that y'all ran into to Magic at the pool." And uh, I said, yeah. And he said, well, why didn't y'all tell me uh, that Magic was 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 down there? And I, we were like, well, we didn't. You didn't ask. We didn't, you know. But anyhow, <laughs> so we get together that night for supper, and uh, we get there, and he's like, I've got I've got some guys I want you to to meet, and uh, and it ends up Magic Johnson and Jerry West uh, come in to talk to the team, and wow. so and so and so we uh, and. and and, and was we all get a chance to meet Magic and and, and he, he gives us some words of wisdom and get a chance to meet Jerry West and uh and that was I mean the kind of the connections that you're able to make for because of somebody like Coach Knight is just something that you just you know you just can't you can't put a, a prize tag on those memories I mean it's just um it, it's just a it's, been, it's just been a a very blessed experience.
1: And, and and obviously that's how you met Coolio too was through Coach Knight, right? I'd imagine they were pretty tight and that's how that worked.
0: Well they were they were golfing buddies and uh, no, um, which, yeah, the, the Coolio story and and you know, by the time that you know I was in the NBA, Coolio wasn't near as big a deal as he was back in like ninety six, ninety seven, but his moment still, had passed. So, his moment had passed, but to me he was still pretty famous and uh and anyhow <laughs> we well, we, me and Bryce drew after we had had uh, I think we were in Phoenix um, and we had, had uh, we would stay sometimes after shoot around and just work out some and then catch a cab back uh, no uber back then we'd catch a cab back to the hotel and, uh, and so we stayed after and he and I were shooting and they were having a, a celebrity charity game after the game uh, the next the next day and and so some of the celebrities apparently were coming in and wanting to at least shoot some on the court the day before. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, Bryce and I are, are just shooting and, and working out in the court. And, uh, and we look over and Coolio is, is being, you know, like somebody from the, the staff, the sons is walking Coolio in and we're just like, that's really weird. And so we, <laughs> we go, we just kind of walk over and just start talking with Coolio and just, you know, just kind of hanging out for a little bit and just talking about basketball. And, uh, and I was like, well, that, that was a neat moment. Well, fast forward to the game, we get done with our game the next day, it may, it may have been even that e- later that evening, but I think it was the next day we uh, we're leaving the game and they have the charity game right after. And so as we're leaving the court after our game, it's like, you know, I, I played probably one minute if, if I played at all, but like, it's just me and, you know, PJ Brown and Eldon Campbell, we're all in line just walking down the aisle, you know, Baron Davis, we're just walking through past all of the the celebrities that are getting ready to go out to play, uh, play the game. And, and we get to Coolio and Coolio looks at me, he's like, Hey, my man, and he's like, I was like, Hey, Coolio. And so we like give that to each other. And we keep, I just and I just do it like it's nothing. And we keep walking and everybody in line was like, How, did, how far back do you and Julio go back? You uh, know, like I was like, me and Coolio, we've been tight for a long time, you know. That is <laughs> but, so good. Uh,
2: so good. All right, so let's get back now to your – you get through your redshirt freshman season. You've busted your butt. You're in better condition. You've gotten a year under your belt to learn the system. And you are now joined your, – your freshman, your redshirt freshman year, the uh, the recruits joining you that year are Luke Recker and Tom Geyer. Geyer also redshirted that year. So now you're into your freshman playing season, and you are welcomed with some new players with big personalities, such as Dane Fife.
0: Please tell us
2: your first impression of Mr. Dane
0: Fife. Well, I kind of thought he uh, was an a, kind of an obnoxious guy that looked like Jerry Seinfeld. That's kind of what I <laughs> thought at first. I think, and um, and 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 that pretty much held true to the very day that I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> um, now, me, Dane, and I were like, we really were quite a bit different. Like, I mean, it, I mean we both came from like basketball families kind of and you know he he had a much more historical basketball family than i did but but we uh you know we both we both had the same kind of connection basketball wise but as far as personalities were concerned i mean we were really polar opposites but we were we just kind of hit it off um you know i i just i just i just loved how he competed i just loved it i just i thought he, he was one of the he might be the toughest defender I was really ever around. I mean, and and I, I just, I love his approach. I loved um, how he cared for his teammates and, and went to bat for him. Like he would, uh, I was just so impressed about how, you know, he would go to coach not and he would tell him like, you know, he would go to bat for guys that he was maybe had in the, in, you know, the famous doghouse, you know, and, and, and at a young, at, a, at like at a young age, you know, that was really impressive that like, Somebody a freshman or sophomore, much less a junior senior would step up and and speak out for somebody. And I was like, that's, that's pretty good leadership. I mean, that takes some guts right there. And, and, you know, and I think you've seen that kind of how his career has progressed. And he's, uh, I went up one of the main reasons I went to the Michigan State game was because I wanted to I had not seen him coach uh, you know, and it was just I wanted to seeing him go against the Hoosiers was a bonus. But I hadn't seen him coach as, as an assistant with Michigan State. I'd I'd actually when I first got married and didn't have kids yet, we went on a road trip and I actually went up when he was coaching uh the Mastodons at uh was it uh W. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we went we went up there and um, <laughs> you know, just just because I, I you know, I, I just went up there and I actually got up there the the day of the game and got to his office or got, he'd said that they play pickup games in the mornings. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So I went and we played pickup with his staff uh, before the game that day. And he just was talking trash and saying stuff about like, you know, we would have won the title if you hadn't left. And he gives it to me all the time, you know, (laughs) and, uh, and, and i tell him, it looks like y'all just needed me out of the way to actually have a good season. You know I mean? So we, we just, uh, we, we, you know, he he comes back and in, uh, in the in the we try to golf in the off season. Some uh, we we've, we've probably like two out of the last four years have gotten together in golf, and it's just uh, you know if if you had a running commentary of of kind of the stories and things that he says and does, you know, you probably need a, a little bit of an R rating. But he uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think a lot, of, even though even though we butt heads, uh, he was he was one of my favorites.
2: Well, on the other side of the personality spectrum, I think it's safe to say you have Kyle Hornsby. Who joins the team uh we've had yeah. both on our podcast and uh we got a firsthand look at the difference in personalities uh kyle has been referred to as the nicest guy in the world i don't think anyone he would is. say that about dane but that's okay dane's got other qualities yeah. but but yeah. Well, uh and i believe you uh, i think kyle told us that you guys were roommates uh for a couple years
0: yes yes we he, he and i were roommates for for a couple years and we had um we had this old like this house that we had been, that we were renting was like from like the 60s and had like a real Brady Bunch feel to it and had like a, a, it literally had a fold down record player thing that would come down and like this old fashioned intercom system, and uh, and so it was it was pretty neat but it, it was big enough to ha- have our our ping pong table in the living room so that's why we liked it. Oh, but, are you uh, good? Are you yeah, good at we, ping pong? Are you a good ping pong player? I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay I'm okay I I I'm not going to embarrass myself but I I <laughs> I I I like to play but they um yeah but they Dane now Dane and Kyle were really good friends um you know they they actually hit it I mean I I ended up I had probably my best friends were the were two or three of the managers on the team. That's who I probably stayed with and hung out with the most. But I, I, I think Kyle and Dane, you know, you kind of put them in like the you know absolute kind of best friend categories, which was even more polar opposite personalities than what me and Dane are. And, and um, like I, I just we were talking one day about um, at the at the time I think the movie Seven hadn't been out long and 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 me and Hornsby were we were sitting there with uh with a friend or two and we for some reason just dumb college talk this is before you could really google everything on your phone we started thinking about the movie seven and uh and we were trying to list we were trying to think about um the seven deadly sins that's what mm-hmm. we were trying to list we're like well what were they and we kind of, we couldn't think of them all and and I said, well, we can kind of think about how, you know, the, the people were taken care of. We'll just say in the movie that kind of because it has something to do with it. And we couldn't figure it out. And I said, I said, um, I say, I can't I don't know. I can't remember how everybody was killed in that movie to, to be able to do that. And I, and I finally had like this light bulb moment. And I said, I said, Horny, you know what we can do? I said, we can just look this up in the Bible. And, uh, and, and Kyle and Kyle and Kyle in all seriousness, he looks at me. And he goes, Kirk the Bible's not going to tell how those people in seven got killed. <laughs> <laughs> and and, I, and I, said, I said, you're right. You're right. Uh, what was I thinking? You know?
2: <laughs> uh, give us a quick uh, snapshot on Jared Odell.
0: Oh, man. Uh, my my, One of my favorite things uh, about Jared was that he, and, and a little bit of like this in Dane, you're talking about somebody that is, Unapologetically truthful with what he's going to say about his, and his opinion is going to come out, you don't have to worry about where he's at on the topic. And I just always liked that you knew where you stood with, with, with Odell. And and uh, and I just uh, I always appreciate him. He was uh, uh, when when I left and and I, I told him, I think I, I may have put this in the book, I think I may have told him, but I, I, I just really appreciated when I did leave a, a year early of eligibility uh you know i kind of got a little bit of flack from people and 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 i had some people and and maybe i told him i said maybe you were just happy that you're gonna have more playing time but he was <laughs> he could not he could not have been nicer to me about that decision and just really you know was nice in how he approached it and the support that he gave me and uh and that you know and it, isn't not not to say that any nobody was kind of like you know bad on the team about it but i could just tell there was a little bit of, of a cold shoulder on, on on with the decision with some people and i understand i, I probably would have been the same way
1: dane, I just dane said i just dane said he gave you the cold shoulder for a while
2: oh Dane, dane oh, told yeah. me he's still pissed off
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah he he is and and what you know what i've tried to tell him is this and and is that when when you're a, a a big white guy from Tennessee with a vertical jump in the twenties and, and all the, all the things line up for you to possibly be a first round draft pick. And you might want to strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. And, and I just never, knew, I just, you never know with health and you never know with a lot of things, how it's all going to line up. And, um, and I tell you one of the key factors, I, I'm not, a, you know, I, I don't mind saying this. One of the things that really scared me that my senior year was, um, or my, 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 my it would uh, my senior year of being in school but my my redshirt junior year playing was that last year playing for coach davis is um i i, I didn't miss a single game in college in until i had turf toe in one game and i missed one game and after that i lost my starting job for like three or four games and mm-hmm. i would come off the bench I'd come off the bench and I'd play well and I was still leading the, the team and, and and some I think rebounding and scoring but my minutes were down and I never could earn that starting spot back and nobody ever kinda of said anything about it. Nobody explained it and, and said I just, it just I just I went out for one game and, and then uh had been playing well and got back and and uh and so that one that, that kinda of scared me just a little bit of like I just didn't know kind of where I might have stood long term because I never uh you know, I wasn't I I wasn't recruited by coach Davis and I think that you know he had some guys that he recruited that I think that he was a big that w- that he was you know big fans of obviously and I would understand that because he he you know recruited them but I just didn't know if I was going to be uh, something that was uh, possibly uh n- not expendable but I just I I kind of I kind of wanted to keep my my you know, I kind of wanted to keep my future in my own hands a little bit there.
2: Well, one thing I wanted to bring up, and and I don't know if you, when you were back for the Michigan State game, had a chance to see Kyle Hornsby, but when we had Kyle Hornsby on our show just, uh, what was it, a week ago, I think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things Kyle brought up to us on the podcast, I don't know if he communicated this to you, but he put it out publicly, so I'm going to communicate it. He said when he read your book and and read the parts where you said that, you know, you did feel um, iced out a little bit when you came back to Bloomington after being drafted by the Hornets, and and it wasn't as warm as you would have hoped. Kyle said when he read that in your book, it really crushed him because he loved you, and and he was so happy for you to be drafted, but he says that looking back, he regrets not being more effusive in telling you that, and he really, it like hurt Kyle to know that it hurt you, and he wanted to communicate that to you, how happy he was for you. So I don't know if he got a chance to communicate that, but here's us communicating it to you for him.
0: Well, that, that, that does mean a lot. And, um, and, and, you know, now I'm working, I I tell you, you're working off a little bit of a different sample size back then of being able to communicate with people because it was basically, a, a. you know, a phone call or that, and that was it. I mean, there wasn't like, you know, I'll, you know, I'll send you a message or you reach out. And so there wasn't as much like today. I think that if that would happen, you'd probably have be in constant communication with a lot of these guys. And, and we just kind of went separate ways so quickly. And the, the one trip that I made back to Bloomington, you know, I just, uh, I went to by to like, they were in the middle of summer camp with the kids. And I went by to visit And uh, and just kind of talk with some people and like they're just there. There wasn't like, any you know, like, come on over after this camp or come back over here. We're going to get together. There was just. And so and maybe I should have done a little bit more of that, too. But I just was I kind of had it built up in my mind that, you know, I'd come back after all this had happened and they'd be like, man, let's go out and celebrate. Let's uh, Mm -hmm. we're all going to go out to do this and we'll talk about. And uh, and so when that didn't happen, I, I I probably and I'll be the first to admit it. Uh, you know, my wife will be the second one to admit it, Uh, you know, I probably am too sensitive about things sometimes and I'm not, you know, and so I may have read a little bit too much into it, but it means a lot that he would say that. I mean, I never did think that he felt bad for me at all or anything like that, or, or felt no, yeah, he was really not... happy. Well, it was
1: in, in Kyle's. But, uh... what, what Kyle said was basically like, oh, "I was, of course I was so happy for him. And I, I guess I regret I didn't express that more explicitly, but he's like, you know how it is when you're, you're a student and you're an Indiana basketball player. You're just so caught up in, in the day to oh, day and yeah. doing your own thing. He didn't realize he needed to be more expressive about that. Oh,
2: and we, Absolutely. Talked, we talked about this with Kyle. When you're any 20-year-old kid, it's what my girlfriend Holly says all the time, you are so far up your own ass, you don't know what else is happening in the world.
0: <laughs> and it's that's true. true. That's it's just true. That's true. We're, you, you we're are, just, we, we, are, we are selfish by nature. You yes, know? exactly.
2: Good. All right, so one more guy I want to get a bead on from you, on because there is a great story that you tell about him, and it's also a great story about Coach Knight. But Ward and I were at Indiana at the same time. I was there 95 to 99. So I crossed paths with you a bit. Ward was there 96 to 2000. So again, we all crossed paths a little here. The
1: greatest four years ever.
2: (laughs) But we also, the three of us, got to cross paths with one of the greatest athletes to ever be at Indiana University, Antoine randall L. (laughs) What, what, I didn't say best basketball player. I said best athlete. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Antoine, uh, what you remember about him, and then please share the Converse sneaker story.
0: If if I if if I could take if I could take anybody's personality and just and just and, and claim it as my own, it would be Antoine Randall L. You're uh. talking about this infectious personality of just I mean, just he He was small in stature, but when he walked into a room, man, he's just one of those guys that just owns the room. Like, I mean, just bright, smiling, joking, and just just positive energy. and um, and you know, he he and Coach Not it's it's been a while since I you might have to refresh me a little bit on this the story, but I know okay. that I know that he was not a fan of the Converse and that Coach and he was asking Coach Not I think about maybe going to Nike. Is that what yeah. I think
2: I, that and that coach yeah. was, was putting it out like why? Why do you think that Converse yeah. are any worse than than, than Nike? And Antoine yeah. had an answer for it.
0: He oh he had he had all kinds of answers and I think it led to Coach Knight like I uh, I think he went and did like some testing or he got some other shoes and weighed them. Yes. I mean it was it was it got he got to be in he got to this battle like I thought we were going to have to have like Judge Judy come in and adjudicate the situation because <laughs> Coach Knight and him were going back and forth and Coach Knight loved it. He just, uh, Coach Knight, Antoine could get away with saying things and asking things in a way that would have driven, if it had been any of the rest of us, I think coach Knight would have just, you know, put us through a wall or in a wall and and Antoine could say this stuff and it would, he would say it in such a way that coach Knight, wow, I can't believe that you're willing to say that and ask that, but I'm going to entertain this for a little bit, you know, and, <laughs> and, um, and, and Antoine, you know, he 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 gave me he gave me probably my first piece of advice um, in in that uh, he came up to me and, and I I'd known about him and knew that he was like I think I had a chance to maybe sign with the Cubs organization and he was the football star and he's the basketball and I I just been around him enough to know that this guy had star potential and I just I was kind of in awe of him even though we were basically the same age. And he, uh, we were waiting on our ride one day at, uh, at the dorms uh, during summer basketball camp. And uh, he said, he said, um, can I give you some advice? And I'm like, yeah, I'm looking for some <laughs> advice from somebody like you. And he told me, he said two things. He said, go buy a belt and go buy an iron. And he just walked off. <laughs> so I was like, future Future Super Bowl champion. That's the advice I got was that you you dress sloppy. So I went to Target that night and got me a belt and the iron. (laughs) Uh,
2: As a quick button to the sneaker story, uh, in your book, you said that that Antoine did say that the uh, Nike shoes were lighter. And so Coach made like an equipment manager or somebody go buy a pair of Nike and buy a pair of Reebok and buy, you know, take the Converse. And he came back. And apparently, the way you put it in the book, I believe you said uh, the. The Nikes weighed one point five ounces, the Reeboks weighed one point five ounces, and the uh Converse weighed one point six ounces. And so yes. Antoine was right technically <laughs> yes. by one yes. one one yes. tenth of an ounce. Yes.
0: And I get and I gave I, I give Coach Not credit for actually giving the correct the exact numbers because he knew he knew when those numbers came in like that that Antoine was going to say he was right and so he <laughs> he could have he could have completely ditched the idea but he knew that he knew he owned it and uh, but yeah that was it was always stuff like that between him and Rand, and Randall L. all
2: right so now let's get to. You haven't played competitive basketball, recorded competitive basketball. Obviously the practices are super competitive, individual workouts super competitive. But you haven't played an official game of basketball since the state championship game of your senior year in high school. It's almost been 2 years now since you've played. Rup. And you get to play Seaton Hall, your first game as a freshman in well, in the RCA Dome. In the RCA Dome. Give us a little bit of just what your what the butterflies were, what you were thinking going into that game?
0: Well, yeah, I was incredibly nervous because, I mean, you're, uh, I mean, you you always get nervous before games. I always got nervous before high school games and you're dealing with seven or 800 people and then you're playing your first college game in the RCA dome and it's just unbelievable the atmosphere and the amount of fans and the amount of people. I mean, you just I've never played in, you know, this is the first time I've played in a, in a gym that if I stood at center court and threw uh, a baseball as hard as I could, I'm not going to get near or close to any wall, you know. And so <laughs> it was, um, it, it, and I, I honestly, the way that we did practices, you know, we had uh, like a, a core group that was in red that was always the starters that were going to play the most, and then you had a group that was always in white uh, that uh, that was kind of the the second team unit. And I just had been on white for the entire season so far, so I knew that I wasn't starting obviously. But you also the guys in you know a lot of the guys in white didn't play any minutes. Two or three of the guys in white would play minutes. You had no idea. You just were on the court rotating in, and there was no really rotation talk or anything about what you'd expect. So I had. I had zero expectations that I was going to play at all. I I I thought that I probably would get some chances during the year, and um and my mom uh, had come up and my mom and granddad were at the game, and, uh, and a good close family friend of ours, uh, Hollis Henson, and uh and they were uh you know she was thinking the same thing. She told me later she was like it was. She told me she said it was the most relaxed I had been at one of your games in years because all the high school games she was a nervous wreck. And she was like, she was just completely relaxed, nothing to worry about, because I'm just gonna watch this game. I just came to support my son who's on the team. And she <laughs> said she said that she could not believe it when she saw me taking off my warm up top going to the front to the scores desk at like the five minutes into the game. And she was like, What is this?
1: Her blood <laughs> and, pressure uh, shot right up. <laughs>
0: but, and, and uh and so I, I would love I I it's been so long. I don't, I, I can't remember exactly how it went uh, as far as how many minutes I played or, or the stats, but I, Oh, I got the stats. I, I, up, I got, okay. The stats. I think let me, let me take a shot. Yeah, at it. Do, it, it do it. Somewhere Like, uh, for like, 15 points, 12 rebounds, or something like that. Close, 17. Nine.
2: 17 points, 8 rebounds, 3 steals.
0: I mean, it was a good matchup for me, but I, I just hit the shots that were available. I don't think Seton Hall had uh, – apparently uh, they had no idea who I was. So <laughs> I don't think that they were really game-planning to, to do anything. And maybe that was the genius of Coach Knight. He's like, I'm just going to throw out this kid, and they have no idea what he can do. and So maybe he can throw in a couple of shots. And, and it just was – it was just such a great feeling to feel a game and just feel like yeah this is just, this is like high school you know you make the moves you you know take your you, you go to the rim you box out I mean it's just this is the same game bigger guys some athletes but uh, the practices were so tough man there wasn't you can't I mean some of the guys some of the teams that we were that we played against uh, it wasn't anything different than playing against Andre Patterson or Jason Collier in practice so I mean it, it really did that, that, i, I I really think that some of the the scrimmages that we had were tougher than some of the games that we played, and and um, and it just worked out uh, worked out great, and it just stunned my mom. And, uh, <laughs> I think after the game, I think after the game, my granddad said that somebody uh, came up and asked him, you know, with the they had the program, and he they had realized that I was that they were my family, and they came over and they pointed at the program. And he said, "Where is Lobelville, Tennessee?" <laughs> and uh, and so that's that's when I guess we knew that we were getting close to making it when people were you know at least looking at the program.
1: So you you whipped up on Seton Hall, and you guys are off to a good start, and you uh you you get all the way to the the championship game in Maui before finally losing a game to Syracuse, and you come back to Bloomington, and it's Thanksgiving, and I, I read a story about uh, your mom and that Thanksgiving. Would you would you care to share that with us?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that that was a really special Thanksgiving. You know, I I came back. I'd actually uh, gotten an apartment since, um, you know, the first year I stayed with uh, uh, Ron Turner and, uh, and uh, Tom Geyer. And then because I wasn't playing at, you know, there, I didn't have a lot of people coming up to the game. And but when I was going to start playing a little bit more, possibly they decided that they were going to split an apartment with me. So mom and granddad took were basically my roommate. They <laughs> paid one half of it and I, I took care and paid the other half. And uh, and so they had, they had an extra room and, and everything and, and we had the futon. So when they came up that we had a place for people to stay when they were coming to the games, they didn't have to worry about a hotel or anything. And so I was like, that's a great deal. And, Cause I usually just hang out with my manager friends all day and just sleep at my apartment. And it was good also because, it gave me a nice quiet study area without having a lot of people around when I did sure. need to do some work. But, uh, but I came back and, uh, and she, she'd come up, uh, for, for Thanksgiving and, and just didn't want me to be alone or anything with Thanksgiving. And so she, um, I think we ended up maybe just having, I think we just had some burgers, maybe, if I remember correctly. I think maybe some Burger King or something. It wasn't anything extravagant. And uh, and watched uh, It's a Wonderful Life uh, was uh, was the movie we watched that night. And, uh, and it was ended up being a really special uh, thing that I'm glad that she did.
2: That's amazing. So you're in the middle of your now uh, academic sophomore year, but playing freshman year. You, you started the season four games in a row of double figures. You're playing a lot of minutes. And then – at really around the Thanksgiving game, things start to turn a little bit, and you're getting your first taste of like, oh, this is really hard. <laughs> um, a couple yeah. games where you don't score any points, zero points against Notre Dame, which was, I think, a game after the Syracuse game. Uh, you only play 11 yeah. minutes in. You play a little bit against Temple. You have a tough game against Kentucky in an overtime loss. And then Boise State, you don't play much in. What was it like... Just kind of going through the roller coaster of what it means to be your first year playing, not just at Indiana, not just in college basketball, but for Bob Knight, where you really have to earn every minute. What? what well,
0: how it, did you manage that? It, 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 well, it goes back to that, really, that, that consistency of effort. And, and you just realize... You know, it's it's such a physically demanding thing to play Division One basketball. Period. But when you're also dealing with the schedule that we had in like Notre Dame and Kentucky, and then also when you had you know the Big Ten schedule coming up. It, it just it it really did start to dawn on me that you know you're not quite there yet you you you're you're getting closer you you're having some moments but man you've got you've got a ways to go if you want to compete consistently on on the basis of of what you're going to have to be going against so it, it was um you know I couldn't imagine not having that redshirt year to get myself to at least that point if I'd have been thrown in the fire that freshman year you know I I'd have, I don't know if I have ever you know. Recovered with the confidence, wise to be able to compete.
1: Coming from Tennessee, did you have your own feelings about Kentucky before showing up in Indiana? And if so, you know what were they, and how did they change once you got familiar with the Indiana-Kentucky rivalry?
0: Oh, I was very comfortable with it. I never did like Kentucky, Mike. Um, <laughs> nice. That was that was not a that was not a problem. Um, I think one of my favorite sayings was, "It's better to be lost in Indiana than found in Kentucky," and uh, I, I think that. I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. If there was any other way to get to Indiana from Tennessee, I would have taken it. But they, it was, um, it it, I, I, it's probably it's probably it's probably one of my biggest college regrets. Uh, was that um, you know I, I felt like I played well in the Big Ten, and I felt like I did well in the the NCAA tournaments, and I thought I played well in the in the in the Big Ten conference tournaments um i never did i never played i never had a good game against kentucky always wanted to desperately wanted to but for whatever reason i just never had a good game against kentucky and you know part of it is the the level of talent they had and i I just just for some reason it never did click against them one time uh, Jamal, you know, of course, I uh, my my luck is I go to the Hornets and and two of my <laughs> teammates are Jamal Aspin and Jamal McGlore. Uh, and uh, and so I have to deal with Kentucky all the time. Well, me and McGlore got in an argument one day about when we played against each other, and, and you know, talking about back then you really couldn't search stats as easy as you could now. So we were arguing in the locker room about what I did to him, and he's arguing about what he did to me, and so I got back to the house, uh, back to my apartment, and looked up the, the the stats on the computer, and it came back the next day, and I said hey, we. Call and Big Cat. I was like, Big Cat, we both need to shut up. You had three points and four rebounds. I had two points and fouled out, so let's just <laughs> shut up and not talk about it anymore. And, um, and so, um, so that, that it, was, it was interesting to have to put up with uh, you know, Robert Tractor-Trailer from Michigan and, oh, and then man. the two Wildcats. The
2: well, let's move on to the next rivalry that is obviously the most important to Indiana, which is Purdue. And I'm going to ask you this about Purdue. Did you hate Brian Cardinal as much as I did?
0: Yeah, I, I I tell you what, him and probably uh, I think it was Jacob Jacks was the guy at Iowa. Yeah. those 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 two guys both kind of irritated me. Part of the guy that irritated me the most it was uh, that that was kind of a smart aleck the most on the court was Troy Murphy. But oh. but yeah, I was I was not a huge uh, I, I was not a huge Brian Cardinal fan. I really thought he was a flopper. And and uh, now looking back, I really do appreciate somebody that steers steers directly into what they are and and i didn't appreciate it as much then but i really did i really do like that somebody has embraced being a heel like i, I i'm not a patrick reed fan in golf i love golf but i would love if patrick reed just totally owned this cheating thing and was just like yeah i'm going y'all better keep watching me because i'm gonna try to do what i can to win every tournament and just be like full wrestling heel and and so from a from a fans point of view, I know it drives fans crazy, but man, you enjoy, I mean, it's, you've got skin in the game when you're pulling against somebody, almost like when you got somebody that you're pulling for. So I I appreciate it a lot more now. And I, I, I kind of enjoyed, uh, I I enjoyed what he did.
2: Yeah. You mean like Dane Fife? I mean, Dane Fife
0: was our Brian Cardinal or or Michael Lewis, who yes. threw the ball right off of Jack's yes. face uh, on <laughs> yes. purpose. You know what? So it's 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 fun to have some villains out there. So
2: that year starts off, like Ward said, incredible. You start off thirteen and two, and then the team hits big Big Ten conference season. Obviously things get tougher, but it's a very bumpy end to the to the season, finishing ten and nine.
1: And and this is coming off of a, a previous season, even though you're watching it from the sidelines. That was disappointing too. So now the pressure yep. and the noise is starting to build, at least outside of Assembly Hall.
2: Um, you do finish the season before the Big Ten tournament. I do think you break your hand against Iowa near the end of that year, break a bone in your yep. hand. But you do have yep. fourteen and nine, fourteen and seven against Northwestern, fourteen and nine against Michigan, thirteen and thirteen against Illinois, um, and then you get into and then and then and then it's time for the NCAA tournament, and I know that. I mean, this is this is why you come to Indiana University to play in the Big Dance to yep. to go to yep. go to March Madness. You guys are are scheduled to play against a, a good GW team, always good. One of those teams always well coached, play hard. But you have a, some interesting uh, personal feelings about what your role may or may not be going into that game. Can you walk <laughs> us through that?
0: Yeah, I I had um, even though I had put up some decent numbers uh, in that uh, in that that final regular season or that four NCAA boy um, I'm, I'm trying to remember, but I, I had not, I, I really had not played great. And, 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 and in practice I'd had just two or three terrible practices leading up to the tournament. And, uh and, and I, I, it was, I was kind of favoring my hand some and I was dropping some passes and just being kind of soft, not going after stuff. And coach Knight had just had enough of it one day. And it was the day before we were leaving for Orlando to go to the NCAA tournament. And uh, he um, he just – he ripped me like none other. Like, I'd, I'd had some pretty good rippings by him over the court. But this one was everybody – you know, th- this is the one where, like, the managers, they don't wanna even want to walk on the sideline. They just – everybody just freezes. And he just let me have it about how soft I was playing and just told me if I wasn't going to be any tougher than this, then there's no reason for me to play. There's no reason for me to dress. There's no reason for me to go. And uh, and just kicks me. He tells me to just start running stairs, uh, and so that they can practice. And so I'm running the stairs, which at that time, uh, for a while, I could tell you how many exactly numbers of stairs there were because I got to where I was counting them on the way up. But we, I was just running stairs up and down the, the assembly hall stairs. And he's just as, as I'm doing it, he's still just giving it to me. Like even the practice is still going on, and he's still, you know, he's like yelling at Tim Garo about what you know what can I do to give this kid a chance you know I give him a chance and this is how he plays and just I mean he's really you know really trying to you know test me out and and he finally just says that's it I've had enough of even having you in this gym just get out of here and so I i come down and he says he says I'll take you I'll take you to Orlando but I'm not playing you with a few extra choice words in there <laughs> and uh and he tells Tim he says he, he says I don't want him back tomorrow on the court practicing and he, and he and he tells me to get out well I go to the locker room and I know that they've got there's probably about 20 or 30 minutes left to practice probably by what we usually do. And I'm just sitting in there and, you know, and, and, you know, I'm toxic right now. There's nobody coming in to talk to me or say, Hey, it's okay. It's just me. It's just me in the locker room. And, uh, and so I had seen him do something like this earlier with another player. And the next day that we came in, his stuff was, was gone out of the locker room. So I knew it was very plausible that my, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be able to practice because I wouldn't have anything to practice with. So I kind of throw a little pity party for about three or four minutes in the locker room. And then I realize that if I'm going to practice tomorrow, I've got to think of a plan. And so I get my stuff together. I get some, you know, I get a pair of shorts and a a practice Jersey and some shoes and socks and I go down and I hide them in in the back (laughs) shower. We have, there there, there was an extra bathroom down the hallway that most people didn't use, but it had some showers and stuff. Some of the managers used it sometimes. And so I took as much, I took the gear that I could out of my locker and cause we had some extra gear uh, and I left some, I left the rest of it, took what I needed, took my little hand brace that I had and, uh, and, and I went to the training room and I grabbed some tape and some pre-wrap and I just put it all in like a little corner of a shower in the back extra bathroom that hopefully nobody would find. And so I got there the next day and, uh, and, and. And made sure because, you know, I, my locker was going to be cleared out because and, and, they didn't want me practicing. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, I'm glad that I, I, I had planned ahead and I went in there and uh, and just I just waited in the shower. I didn't even I don't think most people even knew that I was at the gym. So I was kind of like, like, oh, I'm going to let them think that I'm really not going to, you know, I, I'm just I'm doing and you know, and so, uh, and so, I didn't go down to the locker room uh, after I, I'd gotten there early enough to kind of see what the the issue was, and I just waited in the shower, and waited until everybody <laughs> had gone out for practice, and as, as as and I just sat in there in the shower by myself with nobody around in this extra bathroom until every it's until I waited till a few guys I thought would probably be going out, and so I wrapped up my hand the best I could with one hand, um, with the little brace that they'd given me, and I got dressed. And I just went out there, and it was kind of like the Seinfeld episode where you know George Costanza just goes back to work at the Yankees and just <laughs> hope that nobody, yep. hope that nobody notices. And so I just go out there, and I'm just like, "Hey guys, what's up?" And just start shooting and warming up, and uh, and and everybody's looking at me like, "What are you doing here?" And uh, and so uh, I see. I see Coach Knight talk to our trainer Tim Garl, and uh, and and he sent and I see, then I see Tim Garl start walking towards me, and I'm like, well, here it is. He's either telling me to get out of here or or uh, or something. And Tim comes down. He goes, at least let me get a good tape job on that hand. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that that was, I knew that that was kind of like the olive branch of like, okay, all right, I've 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 got a chance. I've, I've at least found a ticket to get back on the court. And I had a really good practice that day. And then uh, I just I just didn't know where I stood with him, and then I found out that I was in the starting lineup in that first game of the NCAA tournament. And at that point, I ended up having my career high in points. I think I ended up with 27 points that game. Nine and, rebounds. Uh, I really. Thought I'd, that's right. And then I so I that that game I really felt like I'd kind of that whole process I really was proud of because I thought that it was it was a pretty good test that Coach Knight had put out there, and I felt like that I'd come through. And, uh, and so the next day they're doing press conferences and uh, I'm walking behind the curtain. Coach Knight doesn't know any players are around. He's doing the press conference and the NCAA tournament. And, and I hear them ask a question about me. And he said, yeah, he was like this little piece of gold I found down in Podunk, Tennessee, and brought back <laughs> up and up. And, uh, so I was like, well, it, it, he's turned a corner maybe with me after after this this little performance, this little test.
1: Well, and in that that game against George Washington and you guys kind of wiped the floor with him, Does that just feel like what you had been essentially working uh, almost two full seasons for at IU that it was it was finally happening?
0: I mean, that was, I mean, that was it. I mean, I was a huge NCAA tournament fan like I, me and my granddad would always get the newspaper, the Tennessean, and we'd get the big fold out. We'd each get one and we'd fill out the brackets on the, on the actual newspaper. And then we'd keep up with our records and highlight and everything. And so we'd done that for years and it was just, it was just, uh you know, I just, that, that was all I wanted to do was have like uh. You know, and I never, I never got to the point, but I just was like, I just want to be, if I can just be in one shining moment someday, that's, mm-hmm. if I'm, I've, I've really made it, if I can be in one shining mo- moment montage at the end, and, uh and so it was, it, you know, I had a couple of fun moments and a couple of good games in the NCAA tournament, but I just never, that, that's, that's that's the thing that really does um, you know make me sick to my stomach that I just never got to feel that magic of a run of being able to come back to campus and still being in the tournament like uh, like those guys got to feel the next year and so there that 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 was a big hole in my my kind of my playing resume that I wish that uh, that I didn't have but uh, but you know it's it's uh, you, you guys you've got to take the, the good with the bad.
2: Well, you, you certainly the loss in the second round was not due to your play. You had another good game against a stacked St. John's team where you scored 16 points, 10 rebounds, uh, 6 of 11 from the field, 4 of 5 from the free throw line. And now you're heading into the offseason where you've got your first year playing under Coach Knight under your belt, and it's ended in a, in a really strong way where it does seem like you turned a corner, corner with Coach. So kind of from the high of the highs of that huge first-round game, And now you're heading into, into the off season. And now you're going to end up dealing with the lowest of the lows that season or that year when, uh, in May of 99, uh, F4 tornado hits your hometown. And can you walk us through Kirk, uh, how you got the news of what happened to your mother?
0: Yeah. Um, I was, uh, as usual, I was at my manager's, uh, you know, I had, had three friends, uh, I should say, I just keep saying just the managers, Dave, David Pillar, Brandon Sorrell, Ted Hodges. uh, They were, they were my three uh, best friends. And uh, Jerry, Jerry Hickey was not a manager, but he also was a roommate that we were really tight with, but I was over at their house and, uh, and I just, uh, it was, it'd been pretty good storm even, I guess it was a pretty good system that was going through because we'd had quite a bit of rain in in Bloomington. And, And so I I just remember trying to make some phone calls that night and and not being able to reach anybody. And, you know, and, and I knew that there were storms going on, but I didn't know anything that was really going on. We didn't have, we didn't really have any kind of uh, updated communications and social media that we do now. And so uh, I hadn't heard from anybody, hadn't talked to anybody, but just stayed there until probably about, I don't know, probably about 1130 or 1145 and, and drove across town back over, uh, you know, past the mall area to my apartment and I got in I had two or three messages in my, on my yeah, voicemail, uh, on my answer machine. And it was just my granddad saying, you know, Kirk, you need to give me a call when you get in. And, you know, you just can kind of tell that like something's, something's that's not right. That's not normal. And, uh, but I, I called him and he just told me, he was like, he just said, I just remember him saying, you know, we lost your mom tonight. And I just remember, I mean, I've never experienced anything that would ever have ever done great to my knees. Like I just, I was went to the floor. And he said, um, Are, "Is there anybody with you?" And I was like, "No." And uh, and he was like, "Well, you know, you need to get back over to, you know, you need to stay, you need to be with somebody tonight. You need to go back over." I said, "I'm fine, staying at the house, Granddad. I'm fine. I'm fine." He's like, "No. He's like, you need to, you need to go with some friends." And so, I was like, "I'll drive back over." Uh, to my managers, you know, I'll I'll drive back across town, you know, probably about 10 minutes back, you know, uh, across town. So I've been going for like 20 minutes now. And so I drive back over there and I don't, you know, I didn't call them. I don't know who called them. I don't know how they knew or who who got the word around. But I got back to uh, my my friend's apartment over there, and you know, when I'd left, there was you know, 'cause we're we're it's summer school's ending. You know, we we're summer sc- school is out that day basically, and you know, a lot of people had you know, there wasn't but three or four cars in the parking lot of the apartment complex. And when I got over there, the the parking lot was like you know, there was like 15 cars in the parking lot, and you know, somehow they'd gotten word to some people. And I got over there and, and it was just there. I'll just never forget. The apartment was just lit up. I mean, there was people everywhere there. I mean, I'd, I'd left, there was like four people in the apartment and three cars. And when I got over there, there was like 20 people, 30, 20, 30 people in like 15 cars. And, and it just, I mean, it was just, it was just incredible to have that support and having the, you know, you know, your, your teammates there and, and, uh, and having uh, my manager friends there and, and just, uh, and I remember after I got over there, you know, the, you know, the, the coaching staff had had come over there, coach, they, they told me, they were like, we can't, you know, because it was like midnight and they said, we've tried coach not, you know, we can't, you know, he was probably been asleep for hours. They said, we hadn't been able to reach him, uh, but all the assistant coaches came over. And they just, everybody just stayed, stayed up that night with me. I mean, it was just, uh, they stayed there and we just, you know, we just watched TV and I tried to make some phone calls and talk to some people back home. And, uh, but I mean, it was just, it, it would have been hard enough to wrap your mind around like, you know, your only child and you're, you're, you have a mom that's a single parent, you know, that's just kind of been your life, you know, that's uh, no, you know, and so to just kind of think about like, going forward without that support system and that pillar. And you mentioned the Thanksgiving earlier when you have, you know, it, it, that, that it just turned into even more special Thanksgiving. And, and to this day, I haven't watched It's a Beautiful Life again. That was the last time I'd, I'd watched that movie. And, uh, and so um, if, if, if it hadn't been for my teammates, you know, my granddad came up and got me the next day and took me back home. And what was really pretty neat and special was when I got home, I got back to the, you know, my mom and I's house. And of course we had a lot of family and stuff that was there ready to meet us. I, I walked in and um, I actually just went to my bedroom for a while and just cried for a while. I just went straight to my bedroom, shut the door. You know, we, we there's a lot of people there, but I just wanted to go to my room for a little while. And uh, I'd been in there for a little bit and somebody came in and said, you know, coach Knott's here. And so coach, not just about beat me to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. He, he'd flown, he'd flown down. And so, um, I'd been there for about 10 minutes when he'd shown up five or 10 minutes. And we went in and sat down at the, the kitchen table in the, in in the kitchen, the same table that I, that we'd had, mom and I had birthday parties and, and uh, done homework on. And, and, and what I argued just over, you know, that table and just sat down with coach Knight in that kitchen. And he just said, um, you know, he, he, he said a lot, but the one thing that always stuck out with me, he was like, He's like, you're gonna make it through this because your mom was tough, and you've got your mom's toughness in you. And uh, and so that always meant a lot. And uh, he, uh, you know, that's you know, people can say a lot of things about Coach Knight, and 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 rightfully so. There's some some criticisms there, but um, but it, it'll be hard for me to ever uh, forget the uh, the him him and, and, the, and the team and the staff reaching out during during that difficult time.
1: And was there ever any doubt in, in your mind that you would go back to Bloomington and, and continue to play basketball?
0: No. I mean, that was, that, that was, that was my outlet. I mean, that was my respite. I mean, that was, um, I mean, the only time that I didn't think about it was when I was playing. I mean, it was cause you just, like we were talking about earlier, you know, when you're 20 year old, you've got a lot of things on your mind and, and, and then when you got something like that that you're dealing with uh, at, at at in your at that age that you you know to, to be busy is the best thing and so it was just uh a, you know basketball 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 you know I just tried to pour myself into it and um, and and you know I've tried to it's, you don't want to say that you want to turn it's it's so it's it's, it's 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 broader than like t- turning a weakness and t- turning the bad thing into a positive but you did want you didn't want your chance to you knew i just knew how mad my mom would be if i <laughs> used you know her her as an excuse for not doing not, not doing what i could do <laughs> and so um that coupled with i tell you i gotta say and and you know hopefully if somebody you know I, I hope somebody this might help out there that may listen to this at some point uh but like I don't think I would have been able to get through it if Tim Garl had not found a, a grief counselor for me to talk to. Hmm. That was, uh, to this day, I mean, that was such a great gesture by him and such a smart move. And I hated it and I didn't want to do it. And uh, it was just the best thing at that time. So it was it was a combination of throwing yourself into the work and having a lot of support around you, but also, you know you know, getting some support and some help from some people that are smart enough to know how to do it.
2: Yeah. And I mean, look, it's... It's ironic we're having this conversation on the heels of—I don't know if you follow uh, other college basketball stars, but there's a star freshman for Ohio State named D.J. Carton— who it was just announced is stepping away from the team. And he came out with a message saying he's stepping away from the team because he's dealing with mental issues that he's been dealing with for a couple of years. And clearly grief and what he's going through, aren't the same thing, but it's still dealing with something going on in your head that you just are not capable of dealing with. And there used to be a cliche, uh, uh, not a cliche, there used to be a uh, stigma, stigma, yes. on, On seeking help. And it's just, it's ludicrous that there ever has been and there shouldn't be. And I give him credit for coming out and saying he's getting help with this. And that's the most important thing. And I'm glad you're talking about it, Kirk, because. There are times when we're all in moments that we cannot get out of. I mean, we just, we just aren't equipped to get out of them, and we need to rely on other people.
1: And, and for, for Tim to recognize that, that that expertise and insight, no matter how much the coaching staff, the training staff, your, your, your friends and managers and players would want to help, it's, it's a very specialized skill set to help somebody really work through something like that in a complete way.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I just, um, I, it it really, I, and I I argued with him on it for a while, and just was like trying not to do it, and he's and he basically was like, you're you're gonna do this, you you this is something that uh, you need to work through, and you need some help, and, and I've heard my granddad you know, preach a lot of sermons, and and I think one of the things I've heard him say about. You know, somebody, uh, somebody that's fallen down into a hole and there's several people that go by that says, you know, I'll, I'll go try to find help or I'll pray for you or I'll do this. And then somebody that comes by, jumps in it and he's like, what are you doing? And he goes, you know, I, don't worry, I know the way out. And so sometimes you got to have the people that have gone through it and have the expertise to, to jump in the hole with you so that you can you can find the way out together. One of
2: the points you make in your book um, that is illustrated through this story and one that that I hope you'll tell now is obviously when people have covered Coach Knight in the past, they focus on the yelling and the technicals and the chair and the media controversies and they don't focus on... Well, for good reason, they don't focus on the good stuff because Coach Knight wasn't a guy who pointed his fingers at himself and said, look at the good things I'm doing and look how I care about my players and my team. But while not a grief counselor... Coach Knight seemed to know what you needed to help you and your grandfather, for that matter, who lost his daughter, and he was able to send you to Rick Majerus' basketball camp in Salt Lake City that summer, Uh, and, and I know that you and your grandfather, that was a special time to go out there and experience that. But can you tell us the, your encounter with uh, Coach Majeris at the end of that camp?
0: Yeah, it was it, that was a special trip. I mean, it was something that that I think really did my my granddad and I a lot of a lot of good. And uh, just uh, we both like to travel, and you know, we both you know like basketball. And it was just a great you know it was a great thing just to to fly out and kind of get away from uh, just everything and just kind of be on our own and and just uh, kind of hang out and just talk basketball and work basketball and. And uh, yeah, they had brought me out. They they would bring people in to to help work the camp at uh, Coach Majerus' uh, youth camp. And uh, and one of the things I was really impressed with, you know, Coach Majeris would just he would work the camp, and he he would I mean a lot of a lot of coaches have these camps, and they'll show up and they'll give a 10-minute speech, and they'll sign some autographs, take some pictures, and then they go on. He worked his camp. He was there hours, sweating, and just going through the drills and and going around working with the players and he was great and then in the evenings you'd have pickup games and like uh you know I, I think Chris Burgess was there and pickup games and um and towards the end of camp you know all all the counselors got you know whatever it was you know it was the whatever the salary was for the camp it, I think the counselors got something like thirty or forty dollars a day or something like that and um and so he said after he said before you and your granddad leave to get to go to your flight on the last day of camp he said make sure you find me right after camp's over and I said, okay and uh and so camp camp is over and uh and I, I go over he says follow me and so we go and we walk down uh you know in one of the corridors uh near the you know off the side of the court and it's just me and him and my granddad and he hands me and my granddad he, well, he just hands us uh an envelope and he goes uh he goes now if you if if you could tell anybody about this i'm gonna deny it and i never did it but he said I went through some very tough times when I was younger and I had some people step up and help me out a lot and I've always said I was going to try to do that for others when I had the chance he said he said use that and uh, and use it how you need it and uh, you know he just he gave us uh, you know uh, like a thousand dollars or something like that just uh, to use towards you know whatever things that we needed uh, as a family and um, and uh, I just uh, I never would tell anybody really that I didn't really want to get into that while Coach Mazaris was still around, but sure. uh, I, I think it's I think it's a story that people need to hear about. You know that that's um, you know that that's technically an NCAA violation somehow, I'm sure, but that that is just somebody wanting to do good for somebody else that that, that was in need, and uh, and it was just uh, really an incredible gesture by him.
2: And I think also speaks to the level of respect and camaraderie and closeness that Coach Knight had to so many people behind the scenes. I mean, clearly, Rick Majeris Coach Knight picked up the phone and asked Rick Majerus if he would, you know, let put you guys there, and I'm sure Coach Majerus didn't have to think for half a second about it before saying, yes, I'm happy to help. And again, these are the stories that Coach Knight does not get credit for uh, in the yeah. telling of his story, and it's a shame, and hopefully, hopefully, as... I mean, your book again, was just so eye-opening because you focused on what mattered in your book. You t- talked about his sense of humor, you talked about, but you talked about his heart and, and what he did do and the goal that he had to improve you and your teammates and to make you not just the best basketball players you could be, but the best men you could be. And, and I, I just hope that, uh, that that continues to be the focus of Coach Knight's legacy.
0: Well, I, I appreciate that, and that was that was one of the main reasons that I did want to ride it. Was I, I think that there's a lot of things out there on the on on the scales that uh, show about how how bad he was, or the you know, the, the tactics that he used, and everything. And there, and people have just amassed this great collection of of negativity towards what he's done, and some of the things he did in the national, at least nationally. And any little thing that I could do to try to tip the scales to just balance them out a little bit, um, you know, I was I was really really hoping to to be able to do even if it was just uh, with uh, with some some hopefully uh, some stories that, that would just shed some light on that side of him.
2: Well, you did, and now you're ready for your uh, sophomore playing season in '99, 2000. Uh, and- we
1: gotta ask, somebody new shows up in town what do you think of this guy, Tom Coverdale? What's he, what's this guy all about?
0: (laughs) Oh man. The, the one, one thing that really, uh, Coverdale just makes me happy by the way. Like I just (laughs) like, he, 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 he puts off, he kind of puts off this like really miserable kind of like, I'm just, I'm just down on my luck kind of personality, but he's like, but he'll just kind of throw this kind of wry smile in every now and then, and you know that it, he's in on the joke, and he and he's just like, uh, anyhow. Uh, m- one of my first favorite memories of, of him was, uh, you know, in the in the Michigan State game uh, after the – when the everybody was storming the court and the, the pile – I was just kind of underneath the pile of people, and it just got dark really fast. Because mm-hmm. I just remember, like, I was, it was getting a little scary because it was getting dark and quiet, and I was – I couldn't get up. And I just remember Coverdale just throwing people off the pile like he was King Kong Bundy in some Royal Rumble <laughs> in 1988. Just throwing, just throwing underclassmen left and right until I, until he could get me a hand to get up. And uh, and so that was always a fun memory that I've got of Coverdale. And and uh, saving your golfed, life. We, yes, yes. And uh, and we, we we've uh, we've golfed and stuff. Some I I will tell I will tell a story. He might this might make you mad, but. December I think that he's probably told the story too but but uh it was actually it it was actually Dane of course that I think was telling this story um at at one of our basketball reunions he said and of course the story came from Coverdale uh at some at some point but anyhow they were somewhere eating you know not just a few years ago and uh they were at like I think they were at a steak and shake around Indianapolis or something, and 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 Coverdale was sitting with some of his friends, and he heard some people at a table nearby saying, "That looks like a fat Tom Coverdale." And Tom Coverdale heard him, and he turned around. And he goes, "I am Tom Coverdale." <laughs> like that right and uh, and so. He, I, I think that he's in much better shape now than I think he was at that point in time. But he I think that that might have been a little bit of motivation. But he uh, he he's he always he doesn't mind. He tells stories about himself like that. And uh, I just uh, cracks me up.
2: You are also joined by George Leach and Jeff Newton that year. Two guys uh, with very different personalities from Coverdale or Fife or Hornsby. Uh, What was your take on those guys? These twin towers coming from the south?
0: I, I always I always liked when we'd get some some southern talent uh in the mix um that um that knew kind of exactly what sweet tea was and didn't look at you strange <laughs> if you ordered it um and, and 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 it's been to it's been to uh, 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 uh George uh, I think that he's got a very successful business uh right now um They both uh, do. On, but, y- you know what yeah, you know on, what
1: it's called Kirk can we tell you what it's called
0: What is it Wait <laughs> Ooh-y. barbecue.
1: Barbecue.
2: <laughs> Ooh, barbecue. That's
0: right. That's that's great. Uh that I, that's I'm so happy for them, man. That they I, they were just such a uh, different I mean talking about uh, different personalities. Uh N- Newton, I don't know if he said if I had a dollar for every word I heard him say, I don't know if I'd have enough. I don't know if I could be be able to buy enough of gas to get home today. You I certainly mean, couldn't
2: he, buy yeah. a plate of their barbecue for that.
0: No, no. But I mean, but he just, man, he worked so hard. I, I just, uh, I was always, I always just was impressed by his, his work ethic. Um, and, and George's personality was so, was so fun. Uh, I, I just, uh, I always just was so envious of his athleticism and just his natural, uh, you know, just he has such great instincts. I just I hated when he was guarding me because you just couldn't get shots over him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just one of the best shot blockers I ever. I mean, he he really did help uh, make you a better player in practice just because you had to get so creative with trying to figure out ways to score around him. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that 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 was it. Really did. Uh having those guys and, um, and, and then somebody like Jeffries come in, it was really such a breath of fresh air because, I mean, they just had an energy about them that we just didn't really have a lot of, I felt like, on the team until they got there. One of the greatest things about being
2: a fan of college basketball team, and I think the thing that Indiana fans gravitate to the most, is getting to know a player and watching them develop and seeing their improvement year to year. You went from your, your freshman year playing of averaging 9.9 points a game and six rebounds a game, which, by the way, isn't 6.5 rebounds, is an awesome freshman year, to a big jump up your sophomore year. Your minutes go up, but you now average 15.3 points and 8.3 rebounds a game. The team starts off very well, 6 0, ranked 15th in the country. And then you run into a buzzsaw, <laughs> a powerhouse in Indiana State. <laughs> and you lose that game and the reason i want to bring it up is because we have had the pleasure of talking to several players who have been on teams that are doing really well and then lose to an in-state team like a butler or in this case an indiana state and Mm -hmm. we love to hear about what was practice like after you lose a game like that when coach knight is the coach
0: well, sometimes you didn't have to wait too long because <laughs> it was hours. It was just a few hours later. Um, we um, we I'll, I'll give you one example. I can't remember. It may have been that game. I can't remember exactly when it, this this happened. But we we lost a game uh, that we should have won against somebody that was not. It, 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 I don't want to disparage the team. I want say but Anyhow, we we had to be back the next morning. We had to be back the next morning at six o'clock to practice. And so we'd gotten done. We left, we, we left and, and we hadn't been home long before we had to come right back to practice. And we'd gotten there and we were just all half asleep and we were on the court warming up. And, uh, and we realized that Coach Knight and the staff, they had been there all night watching game film. And they, they, had, they had not had Wow. We, were, we knew that we were in for not only a tough practice, but a practice with somebody uh, like Coach Knight that doesn't have any sleep is even worse. And so we're waiting for practice to start. And Coach Knight comes barreling through these, you know, the big metal doors. They're like like nine-foot metal doors and it, it just throws the door open. And he comes barreling through. And he's wearing nothing but those, like, red bike, like, softball shorts. that They used to wear in softball, like those, like, it looks like baseball pants, but they're actually shorts. Yeah. He's wearing nothing. He's wearing nothing but these red bike pants. And he's coming out heated, yelling at us about <laughs> what he's been watching on film. How we don't know, we don't have any respect for the tradition of Indiana basketball, and he's making a lot of great points, but we really can't understand any of them because we are we are blinded by the brightness and um, (laughs) and and so so we knew we knew we were in for quite a practice when it started off like that. But um, I tell you what, what I always what was great though is that. We knew that the next practice after a tough loss was going to be brutal, but it was it was like it was a really cathartic thing because we knew that that was going to be it. Like I mean, I, it, it, there may be some exceptions to the rule, and maybe some other players may tell you different, but I really felt like that after those games, you knew that next one was going to be tough, and it was going to be it was going to be miserable, and Coach Knight was going to be miserable. But inevitably, it was really usually one of our better practices, and everybody was just exhausted and had worked hard and was just sweating and tired. And he'd come back to the locker room, and you could tell that 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 Coach Knight was back to back to normal. Like it was like he he'd gotten it out of the system, he he'd, he'd gotten his point across. And really a lot of times that was it. Like you you knew it was going to be one bad day and then it was back to work on like a normal pattern. And it was, it very rarely carried over more than like that one full day of, of like the next day of practice.
1: Well, it, whatever happened after that Indiana State game specifically, it seemed to have worked because, you know, you, you took out Wyoming a week later, then North Carolina. You get rolling. You guys roll up into the top ten in the country, and now you're looking, you know, like a, a real force to be dealt with. And at this point, you're, you know, so Grain as a vital piece of the team, and A.J. as a senior is really coming to his own. W- were you starting to feel like, okay, this this team is getting to the point where – what you expected when you came to Indiana to be a part of a team that could could be a part of the national conversation
0: yeah I I think I think that that was that was the team that I thought this this is what this is this is what a a top tier national team feels like and that, that was that was when I felt like when we were going into games that um a lot of times people were needing us to be off for them to have a chance to win. And it wasn't where we had to play good to be able to beat somebody. You know, it was, it was a little bit of a role reversal than what I felt like in the year before. And, um, you know, and with, with, uh, with AJ and, uh, and Lewis, I mean, we just, we just, when you have some, when you have really stable guard play that you know is going to be there day in and day out, um, it's, it's much more, it's, it's much easier to put up consistent numbers as as a post guy uh i I do i really don't want to tell a lot of my guard friends this over the years but it's it's a lot tougher because just from a range point of view and and just the, the 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 position that they have to play and the energy they have to exert and especially when they're ball handlers you know big guys you know we feed off of good guard play and 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 if the guard play is not there then we're going to struggle i mean but but we had such consistent guard play that year i just felt like you know they had to focus so much on aj and they had to then and, and you had lewis that was uh, you know an incredible passer and just um i don't know i really i really i really love that team
2: well we loved that team too uh like ward said started 17 and 3 top 10 in the country Uh, And then the end of the year starts to hit uh, some bumps in the road. But the biggest bump in the road comes not for anything that happens on the court. It's what happens off the court, which is after the Illinois loss in the Big Ten tournament, CNN reveals uh, the Neil Reed tape. What do you remember about finding out that the tape was being released? Uh, was it something that you had heard about in the weeks leading up, or did it all just kind of come to a head very quickly there?
0: Uh, no, that I really don't remember hearing anything about it until like it was out, and uh, and it just uh, it was just terrible timing. I mean, it was just like. Uh, what I had already, what I, what I'd always been told, and you never know. This is, you know, who knows. But I'd, I'd always heard that it's it stemmed from basically a conversation that was overheard, um, that shouldn't have been overheard. Like maybe a phone line, a, a button that was pushed that they thought the, that Coach Not thought that this was the line he was supposed to push, and he ended up pushing the other line, and he heard he heard somebody basically Ron um, felling.
2: That's okay. I'll say it. I can say it. I know you're way too, you're way, you're a politician now, so you can't say (laughs) stuff like
0: that, but I'll go ahead and say it. I'd always, I'd always heard that. And, uh, and I think that that's kind of been the, the, it's kind of gotten closer and closer to being fact over the time. And that kind of was the, the, the tipping point on that relationship that led to all of that coming out. And, and I, I guess the part, I guess the part that really hurts the most is that 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 impacted not just Coach Knott, but it really did negatively impact a bunch of kids that were trying to do something special for us, you know, a, a campus and a state and a fan base. And I just thought it was incredibly selfish if that be the case. Whoever decided to do it, that it, whatever reasons they had against Coach Knott, that they could have done it at a point in time that wasn't going to just completely sabotage a bunch of kids effort and work that they've been putting in. And, uh, and thought that, that that's, that's the part that always bothered me.
1: Well, and as a senior in Bloomington that year, uh, I took it very personally myself. Like, like we'd been, yeah. you know, this was, I wanted to jump into show Walter Fountain before my time there was, was up. And I know the contribute, the contributions, the time, the effort we, the fans put in is, is laughable compared to what you guys did, but having been born and raised a Hoosier fan and you've got this four year window where you want to be a part of just like uh, an incredible celebration.
0: There's there's campus, there's there's campus and community buy-in. I mean, we're all stakeholders.
1: Yeah. And, I know and we you- we wanted it so bad and, and, and it really felt for a lot of that season that we had the pieces, but when the news like that drops, it just, it, it feels like it disrupts the thing that's maybe talked about enough, which is like confidence and chemistry beyond just who's your personnel and what's your X's and O's. It's like the feeling of, of confidence. Like, yeah, this is our, this is our year.
0: Yeah. It really became a distraction. And, uh, And, uh, you know, uh, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that that didn't need to, I mean, that if that person or persons wanted that to come out at some point, I can understand why they would want that. I just think the timing of it was just incredibly um, selfish towards uh, a a large number of people uh, just to get at one person.
2: Well, and also, I mean, look, it wasn't like the kid released it. I mean, Neil Reed is no longer with us, so I'm not going to talk badly about a a kid. But Neil Reed transferred from Indiana because for whatever reason it didn't work for him. I get it. But it's not yeah. like Neil Reed was going into a microphone for three years saying, Hey guys, he no. choked me in a practice. That never happened. No. Like he never said I that. I give
0: I give him a ton of credit for just, you know, basically, you know, doing what he thought was like I'm just gonna move on and uh and, and didn't try to stir up any trouble and Exactly. Um, uh, I, I always, always appreciated him even more. I, I, it always bothers me when people get upset at him because, uh, you know, he was kind of, I felt like, I, I don't, I, I think he was kind of drug into it um,
2: totally, in an unwilling fashion. Totally. He didn't release the tape. And, and it's funny because you bring up, not funny, haha. but you bring up how releasing that tape didn't just affect Coach Knight. It affected this group of kids. Kirk, I'll go one step further. It's affected an entire community of Indiana basketball for 20 years. I mean, the wounds that were created because of that tape and what that led to and the slope that it started to put everything on. Oh, yeah. They have not been healed. They have not been healed.
0: Coach Knot doesn't get fired in the in the time period that he does or how he does, if that doesn't start if that domino right. doesn't fall at that point in time.
2: And not only that, he's then going into and we we can talk about this in a little bit, he's then going into a year of uh, no tolerance. Well, but but I was going to say if it didn't happen, he's going into a year of Jared Jeffries is now here. This all McDonald's All American. You know who knows yep. if that might or might not impact your decision because like you you know who who knows all that's going to happen. And well, Coach Knight gets to coach you with Jared Jeffries, which would have definitely happened that we never got to see.
1: Well, so- well, let me ask you this because as crazy as it seems now. At that time, in the late 90s, even before that tape comes out, even before his job's on the line because of what's going on outside of the the game itself, Indiana fans are starting to get restless and wonder if the game's passed him by, if he's not putting the same kind of effort in on recruiting. And it all just seems like oh we were so spoiled and took so much for granted. But back then that stuff was sort of starting to creep in around the program. Were you aware of that at all? Did you guys feel a mounting pressure to, to come through not just for yourselves but for Coach Knight?
0: Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean that you always, you you wanted, you wanted to be a part of reviving or. um uh, validating his legacy and not being lumped in with the well you're part of the legacy's failure. You know, and, and so that I, I can't speak for everybody else on the team, but it was something that, that went through my mind and, and you you just um that's why it was just always so crushing to not you just you you wanted to you wanted to get that 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 big that, that next Big Ten title for him. You wanted to get that one that next sweet sixteen birth or Elite Eight birth. You just you wanted to get something just to be able to show cuz we we saw what he was doing and we knew uh we knew the 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 work he was putting in and we saw like uh, you know it, his his coaching ability was no no uh, no different skill wise than it was when he was winning championships it, it's just that uh, you know we i think that there was um there was a couple of recruits that I think that didn't pan out that if they had you know I, I think that you you think about it it could have been uh, Collier and Wrecker and me, uh, you, know, and, you know, along with AJ and and Lewis. You know, we, there's there there was a there was a lot of a lot of people that were coming through. That if 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 they all would have stayed and and rode out and not had been, uh, you know, ready to to get out of town so quick that you you know, I, I don't think that that can all be on him. But you know, some of it. Some of it is going to be, and I I understand how people would want to do that.
2: So I don't want to get into the minutia of the zero tolerance policy, but I I would tell everyone, if you want to hear a really good analysis of that and the details, get Kirk's book, because you go into some great detail about what really was going on with that policy. But- The part of the book that I really wanted to get into, I called Ward about it because I was so excited about it. There was this time in between when the tape came out and then when they ultimately let Coach Knight go in September where Coach Knight did get to start working with that team, that 2000-2001 team, in individual Mm -hmm. workouts. And you specifically talked about the four guys because they were groups of four that you were with and some plans that coach Knight had for the upcoming season that I honestly think will shock Indiana fans. If they haven't read your book yet, can you talk about that a
0: little bit? Yeah, he was really, um, and, and we didn't really necessarily see the grand plan when we saw the workouts, looking back, I understood it more. The, the reason that I had kind of a lot shown on it was because Bob Hamill told me years later of, of kind of what he'd been talking about wanting to do, and it just, when he, when, when Bob Hamill told me that I was just like crestfallen because I was like, wow, what we, we may have really started doing something that would have blown some people's minds from what coach Knight had done in years past, but he had already, he had talked to me. Uh, he, I think that he was wanting to, to turn me into more of, of like a, uh, of a stretch five. And, um, and he told me, he's, he, he had already told me, he said, I want you working on your three pointer. I want you shooting a lot of more threes this year. And I was like, okay. Uh, and so I, I, I love that idea. It was just like when he came to me with the hook shot and the sky hook. And he was like, you know, we want to see, we think that you can stretch this range out and we can, you know, we can kind of mess with the lineups a little bit. And I say, okay. And, and he was actually thinking about going with a, you know, like a really long, you know, like a longer, taller, bigger lineup and playing some zone. And, and you're talking about blowing some people's minds if if we come (laughs) out in the, in in, uh, in a big ten opening game and, and you've got you know you're averaging you know six nine on the floor and you're you're playing you know all of a sudden you're it looks like Syracuse is out there on Indiana's home court. Um and who were, and who were mean, the four guys that you were in
2: workouts with?
0: Oh me I I'm trying to remember. I think it would have been uh it was I think it was Jeffries and uh Newton. Yep. It's been so long since I've, I've written Yeah, it was Jeffrey's Newton.
2: Jeffrey's Newton, you and Leach.
0: Yeah, and Leach. Yeah, right. So, yeah, we would, have, we would have been, he was wanting to, he was really wanting to, to look into being able to have, I think that would have put us at 6'9, 6'10, 6'8, 7', starting uh, those, those four. And, and with me and Jeffries being able to stretch the floor a little bit, uh, and being able to stretch the defense, and you know, and 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 putting a uh, you know, and putting a guard out there to just have some penetration. Uh, um, and the, the the beauty about that lineup is, is even if you went man to man, you know, you can put Jeffries and Newton and even Leach, they were athletic enough. They could they could play just about any, you know, two, three or four guard or any two or three and uh, and, and stick my slow butt on whatever big center they had out there. <laughs> and, um, and so even if it was man to man, but like being able to mix up to go. In and out of a man-to-man or a zone with a lineup that was going to average like six foot eight, six foot nine. That was uh, that was a pretty fun uh, dynamic. I think Coach Knight was going to have some fun with.
2: And it again shows there are two things I just want to focus on here with the genius of Coach Knight. Here he is in his twenty-nine or what would have been his thirtieth season, I think, at Indiana, thinking about changing the way that he had done the first twenty-nine years. Indiana was known for man-to-man defense, and here he was tinkering with it. How do I revolutionize a little bit. How do I change putting you as this? So that's one part. Then thinking of you as the stretch five when that wasn't even like a concept back then, Kirk, do you know, do you know how many three pointers you took in your first two years of playing at Indiana?
0: Oh man. I don't know. Unless there was a half court when I threw up towards the end of it, I may not have taken any. I don't know if I took. Yeah. Zero.
2: You took zero three pointers. (laughs) And now, and now coach Knight, this this guy who people think of the neg- wrong wrongly think of as like a dinosaur or stuck in yesteryear is coming to a guy who has taken zero three point shots his entire career to this point and is saying to him you're going to shoot threes this year. I mean, yeah. just just the ability to see that to know that that can help this team, and by God, it did help the team. Yeah, uh, even yeah, hit yeah, a pretty good one. So. So now you're into – now you think you're about to get into this season. Yeah, yeah. And then you guys as a team hit the biggest pothole that any team could possibly hit. In the history of the program. When you find out that they are in fact enforcing this quote-unquote zero-tolerance policy and they're going to let Coach Knight go. Walk us through how you found out and what it felt like like for you to, to go through that.
0: Well, when, when we first heard about the zero tolerance policy, to be honest, I was really relieved uh, because I really we all had thought that that it, the word the next word we were going to get was that he was going to be you know fired. And so we were actually I mean, at least I was like, well, we've got a chance now. We, we can put this behind us. This is just um, I kind of thought it was going to be one of those things where like, listen, we're we're showing everybody we're doing something. We're keeping an eye on it. And I thought that it was done in a way to keep – to kind of protect Coach Knight and and, and and kind of show that they're doing their job. In fact, I think that it was the opposite, and I think it was just uh, more or less – I felt like it ended up being a trap for Coach Knight. And so I, I thought that the – I thought that the administration at the time was trying to, to kind of, you know, help and protect and insulate. And, and I think that they actually kind of were just – Designing a plank for him to walk out on by himself and just wait for the the the, the, the boat to rock just enough, um, and and then push him over. So, uh, that's, but but I I thought that I th- I was a little bit relieved at that, and then you know it really felt like it was just kind of back to normal right after that. I mean after that announcement, I felt like everything kind of died down and and everything was back to just you know we were b- back doing basketball things. We were getting close to the season starting. And, um, and, and then, you know, and then we had the, uh, uh, the next little incident at the assembly hall that, that, that just sparked the whole thing. And it was just the, you know, and it was just enough, uh, I guess, uh, to, to make sure that they were able to say they tried, but then, but, oh he failed and, and it just was such a, I just, I just always felt like it was a really, um, you know, just Kind of, kind of a weak stance and a weak move to to do it that way, the way they did it. And um, you know, if, if you're if you were going to fire him, just just do it. Don't don't try to make it in 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 like of an entrapment type deal. Is what I felt like. Totally. So
1: so it it did go down. And then how did? you personally respond and then you and your teammates from your perspective, because we've heard this from quite a few different points of view at this point, And, and everybody has a slightly different take on it. So how did you see uh, the process play out amongst the players and what you guys were going to do next, both individually and collectively?
0: Well, once we've, once we found out, um, that the decision had been made, um, I, I just remember that I felt like the vibe was that um, everybody was just getting the heck out of Dodge. Uh, I just felt like people were looking and thinking about their options and that they were sick of it. And that they, if Coach Knight wasn't going to be there, they weren't going to be there. And, um, and I, I don't know where the dust would have settled, but I really think that everybody – Every, I think everybody was just waiting for the first, the, the kind of the first step out of town to be taken before the next one was taken. And I think, and I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't looking to leave because I'd already registered a year, and and I just, uh, I just didn't really feel like starting over somewhere else. Sure. And sitting out another year. And so, I, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I had kind of thought that. You know, I, I really think that a lot of people on the team uh, looked at, at at Dane as 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 a leader. You know, and I, I think that, uh, um, you know, I think that we both re- were captains of the team, and I, that I, I know that a lot of people were going to look at Dane and and follow his lead on something like this. And I knew Dane was 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 pretty upset about it, and and um, and I really I really thought that the way he was talking, that he was definitely going to be leaving, and and I just. Um, I remember talking with him, and I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that he he's he would have made his own mind up one way or the other without whatever I said in there. But I did my best to try to to make my pitch for for keeping it together, and um, and seeing what we could do uh, a, as a unit, and and it led to this weird, this really weird deal where like. <laughs> we're at we're at a university and the university is the the administration is calling us out of our classes to come meet with them to negotiate about what coach that we could get to keep everybody together and i was like this is like if you wrote this in a movie it would be so bizarre so i'm i'm you know we're we're getting pulled out of class and 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 are, are asked to come to meetings instead of you know basically going to class so that we could sit down at assembly hall and talk about you know, what we can do coaching wise that would keep everybody there. And and so, I mean, I remember sitting around a table and it was like seven or eight of the players and like three or four people from the administration. And it was just like, well, what's it going to take? At, uh, to keep this intact and it was just such a weird negotiation to be a part of as like you know student athletes and uh, and trying to determine the the direction and uh, the possible future of a one of the top basketball programs in the nation um, it was uh, it was it was a very uh, uh, surreal situation
1: was that reassuring or disturbing that they wanted so much feedback from from young men?
0: well it it scared me a little bit that there wasn't any kind of like um, I don't know, it didn't seem like there was a real plan in place and um, and and I don't know I, it it was a it was a bit concerning that this was this this kind of pressure was being put on us, but it was also um, you know it was it was a bit empowering that they were asking us you know, and maybe, maybe it was, the, I, it, I, it had to be the smart move, to be honest with you, and looking at it back, I mean, they, they asked for our advice, and they asked what would be the best situation to keep everybody happy in there, and we told them at the time, you know, we would like to keep, you know, the staff that we have there, and, and, and we would, we'd be a chance that people would stay, so, um, you know, it was, it, it was a little concerning that there wasn't more of a long-term plan in place, but it, You know, in the end, they probably did the right thing in trying to work with the players. Um, So I don't don't want to criticize them too much for that.
2: Well, you guys all do decide to stay. Mike Davis is hired. And now you're heading into 2000-2001 year where you do have a team with a lot of talent, but clearly going to have to figure out a new way to play because Coach Davis is going to put his stamp somewhat on the team. And the first game of that year is against...
1: We got to talk about a couple new people that
2: showed up. Oh, yeah, well, you're right. I kind Ooh. of skipped over him. Yeah. So let's first talk about Mike
1: Roberts, <laughs> the most entertaining oh, yeah. man on the Indiana sideline now. What what was he like He's as very- a, a player, as a human being, and how do you think that prepares him to and, – and has prepared him to be an Indiana assistant basketball coach?
0: Very um, – you know uh- – I was thrilled to see them hire him on. Uh, I had a chance to talk with him uh, when we were at the Michigan state game. And, uh, and, and by the way, one thing I will say, I went up and just kind of slapped him on the shoulder uh, to, to talk with him. Um, back then, I think I might've been able to take him if we had tangled. I don't think I can take him now. I mean, he's, he, he, he's, he's put on some muscle that he did not have when he was playing, but, uh, but I, um I, I just always always thought a lot of, of Mike and he was just uh just a high high quality guy and I'm glad he's I'm glad he's there uh now. And uh I know that um I believe he redshirted that first year that he yes. came in mm-hmm. and, if I'm not mistaken. But uh he uh it was it was neat to kind of see somebody uh in, in a little bit of a similar situation coming in of, of, of what I had gone through and uh and, and, and he uh and he, he really did he really did um He really did uh, absorb and and kind of uh, take in uh, any advice he could, and I just always appreciated him being around.
1: You could see his brain uh, at work in terms of what what maybe, of course, you think of it as a player at that point he's observing. uh, I should say absorbing, but that he, he, you know, I guess one would just think of of anybody who is coming in and he thought to play for coach Knight is somebody who really wants to understand the game. And I think when we, we see him, you know, screaming like a madman over there, we're excited about the emotional element, <laughs> but we also heard when he got hired that this is a guy who's has a very high basketball IQ.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, he is uh He's not long for the assistant world for very long. Uh, you know, if if, he, if that's what he wants and he enjoys it, uh, you know, I, I, more power to him, but he's going to have some – He's going to have some options in his near future, I think, and uh, I just hope that he gets lets me get tickets wherever he goes uh, because he's going to be he's going to get some opportunities because he's just too he's too passionate and too smart um, of a basketball mind to uh, to probably not be offered some jobs down the line. Uh, because we have no shame,
2: we uh, were at Knicks not that long <laughs> ago uh, for the Ohio State game, and Coach I'm- Roberts and some of the staff were there. And I went up to Coach Roberts, and I believe both of us got on our no, knees. No, no. It was just me? It was, it just, was me. just you. I was amazed. Okay. I got on my knees, and I begged him, do not leave.
1: Because the Knicks floor is not <laughs> clean. <laughs> it's not clean. And Eric got down on his and knees. And bad knees. Hands clasped. <laughs> I begged Coach him. Roberts not to leave and anytime soon. And
2: what did he say? And he agreed. He did. He He's promised. Like, yeah, he um, did. He said, I'm not going anywhere soon.
0: good. I, I hope I hope I hope that he stays as long as he can, but uh yeah, he's gonna get he's gonna get he's gonna get some opportunities.
2: <laughs> so walk us through uh, your first impressions of AJ Moye.
0: Oh man. <laughs> he 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 really did have a little bit um uh he had a little bit of the Antoine Randall magic mm. in that uh he he just kind of uh would uh he just he just kinda of had this, this aura and this little uh um I don't know this energy of uh, uh, around him that just made everybody around you a little bit happier that he was there and um, and uh, he he always was like a um, he, he reminded me he always played like like Barkley he reminded me like an like of an Auburn an Auburn age uh, Barkley the way he just he. He just was this powder keg of energy, and just would just explode at times that you just didn't realize that it was there, and and he just kind of could access it when he needed to, and um and man, just I just I just I always picture him diving on the floor for loose balls, yeah, and, and that's that that's just one of his uh you know I, I just. There's there's two or three guys that if I were assembling a, like my all pickup team, if I could pick their prime out of guys that I played with, and he would definitely be on it.
2: Oh, and give us your take on uh, Bloomington's own Jared Jeffries.
0: <laughs> he he's he was just different, and 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 you knew, man, it's just amazing. You you can just talent talent like that. You just can't you can't hide. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't remember being around somebody that at that age up close. Um, I'd never been around somebody that moved like that. And when I, there's two guys, there's two guys that I've played against when I posted up against them that I thought that there's no way that, that they can keep me from getting where I want to go. And I was, I couldn't have been more wrong. And the two guys were (laughs) Jerry Jeffries and the other one was David West. Both oh, wow. of the times, because the two people that I had the most trouble moving and that was most surprised by were, were Jeffries and West. And, and to look at both of them, you can tell that they're, they're athletic and they've, they've got a strong build. But they don't look like they're immovable, and 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 I just couldn't believe the strength in the legs of Jeffries and and, and David West both very wow. similar. To the way that I felt when I was trying to move them, the only other person I can remember it being like that, and this one wasn't a surprise, was like Evan Eschmeyer. Mm. Like he was trying, it was like trying to 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 move a ninety year old oak tree, <laughs> and, and and I just couldn't believe the strength and and how strong Jeffries was just as, right off the bat when he came in. And, um, and 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 just how how smooth and and right hand left hand jump shot, uh, floor vision ball handling and and I was just like man if 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 you could go into a lab and just kind of design a prototype basketball player the way you want him to to act and look and uh, you know and and it's just like that's 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 the guy right there and I, I just um uh, I, there was just <laughs> he was just a no doubter when you saw him play like. You know, this this guy's going to be on a bigger stage someday.
2: Also safe to say that while Kirk Haston as a recruit and a person would much rather grab some wings and go head back to the apartment and just kind of chill out, that Jared Jeffries would be the opposite of that kind of human being.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I, I tell you what's surprising is that he, he's got, um, you know, he's got a little bit more redneck in him than what people might realize. Yeah, he's a good old uh, boy, I mean, isn't he? he he is he's a he's a big he's big fisherman yeah and uh and just uh like i mean he's he's much more country than maybe what his resume might look like when you look at the places that he's played and maybe lived but he uh he hadn't changed a whole lot from his his uh kind of his kind of his indiana roots <laughs> yeah no he's a country boy but he's a country boy who likes oh, yeah. to party
1: he li- who likes to party oh, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, big yeah, city yeah. 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 Um, so, all right. So, so you get into this season and it it you get your revenge on Pepperdine pretty early on, but it's not with a, gr- a
2: huge game from Kirk, by the way. First game of the year, twenty eight and fourteen.
1: So so th- that was a good start. But other than that, it was like not a great start to the post coach night era. And, and you guys are sort of, like, fighting your way through the, the, the pre-conference and then the actual conference season isn't going well uh, as far as the wins and losses. And the defending national champs, writing a 23-game winning streak, the fourth longest in the NCAA-era modern history, shows up in Bloomington. Can you tell us what it was like around Assembly Hall going into that game during that game, did it feel like something magical was going to happen?
0: <laughs> I I can't say that it did going into it. I, I think that um, what you always, what you always want for is as an athlete, one of the things you always want is just that the opportunity to do something special. And, and there's just very few times in a regular season that you get these games where they 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 happen to hit like all these little little marks and the you know they kind of check all the boxes of like nationally televised game uh you know very big time coach uh big time program winning streak you
3: know
0: defending national champions so We didn't know, we didn't feel like that that we were just going to get, uh, you know, an easy win. We didn't feel like we were going to get blown out. We thought that we had a chance and it would be a nice statement game uh, on our resume and a chance to... To kind of a, a win against a team like that will will cover up some some bad losses and some sins that you've had with you know with your own with your own confidence and with your own fan base. We just knew that that win would go a long way of of helping us uh, kind of um, maybe right the ship and, and make sure that that we had that we were pointing in the right direction. So. We, we I don't know if we had any feelings about anything would happen, but you just kind of relished the chances at those moments that's, that you, you might be able to do something.
2: Well, you're down by two points at the end of the game. It's not looking great, but we do have the ball. How we got down by two, uh, I mean, the game really should have been out of reach, but th- through some fortuitous free throw shooting from some Michigan State stars, uh, we are down mm-hmm. by two with the ball. Kirk, walk us through just one of the greatest memories in the history of assembly hall.
0: Um, well, well, we were, it was a, there was a play that we were out of the timeout, we were trying to get the ball, you know, Hornsby was our, was, was one of our best three point shooter. And, uh, and, and so the the play was basically, as we come off was like, it, it was kind of a, we we were giving us ourselves kind of basically two two bullets to shoot out of the gun and not just put everything and all the eggs into one one shooter or one play, and so um, you know we, we ran the play and the play was you know as as Kyle as you come off of this and and you're able to you know get the pass if if you have the shot take it, if not you're going to have uh you know you know you'll have Kirk working off of the the weak side uh, you know after the screen. And, uh, and they, they, they played it, they played it really well. And, uh, as Michigan State is apt to do and, and they're really, you know, Hornsby got the ball and didn't have much room at all. And, um, and, you know, unfortunately Randolph didn't fall off as much as I thought he would. We thought that, 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 that Randolph might go with the shooter and kind of leave me alone. And, um, but he, he played it pretty well. And so when, you know, Hornsby swung, you know, swung the ball to me, you know, I knew that, that, you know, there was no other option. Now this was the the second the second chance uh, at, at this, and um, luckily, what uh, I, a couple of my buddies. We used to um, when I was in high school. Um, I would uh, I'd, I'd go to my girlfriend's house and I'd, I'd I'd hang out with her and her family, and then on on Friday nights, and then I would leave at about eleven o'clock, and I'd kind of act like I had a curfew to get back for, and I'd get back home and uh and then i'd call we had a couple buddies and we'd go to the gym and we'd play from about midnight to like 2 a.m and we'd play you know they were younger we'd play one on two and so they both would play against me and so i had to like you had to hit all these kind of crazy shots and going from side to side and everything and so that 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 kind of came into play and helped me out a little bit and just sidestepped him and, and able to kind of just barely get that little shot off over his hand and and it went in and i just remember like everybody says this on, when you talk to him about shots like that is that you know it was just really slow and really quiet like i don't remember i don't remember any sounds until until the horn went off and i don't remember it seemed like it took forever for the ball to get there and uh, the really strange thing about it was going back to that state that that junior year the junior year when I missed the shot to win the state title was the first time I'd, I'd taken a shot that would have won, won or lost the game. And then the Michigan state shot was my second chance. So I'm, I'm one for two, uh, on Red- those, on those shots.
2: Redemption. <laughs> Well, and then, of course, you run down the court. You are tackled by Tom Coverdale. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Hornsby, I think, is next on the pile. But as you talked about earlier, it turns into a life or death situation. Many
1: people join that pile.
2: <laughs> and and then as you yep. so accurately and vividly portrayed, Tom Coverdale turns into King Kong Bundy in the Royal Rumble. And he is throwing <laughs> right. people out over and then, what do you remember next? Like being in the locker room. What? When was the first time you got to just kind of take stock of what had just happened? I mean, this is. I I don't want to put things into your head that weren't there, but you you've had a, just one hell of a of a life over the last you know year plus the tragedy with your mom, the coming back and and kind of forming this bond with coach after that, losing coach to the firing. I mean, just a tumultuous time in a young man's life. And here you are in this moment of just pure jubilation. What was in your head when you got a chance to just be with your own thoughts?
0: Well, I I actually, I'd never been in a situation like this after a game. I didn't realize I, I would have if I'd have thought about it, I would have stayed around and joined Jared Jeffries and Moyer and some of those guys on the scores desk and really, you know, kind of soaked it in a little bit more. I I, I just jogged to the locker room because I thought that's where everybody else was going. <laughs> and I didn't realize, it. I didn't realize like, you know, like you said, Jeffries knows how to find a party. I know I, he, he found the party and I, I left the party. And that, that's the story of my life, I guess. But I, I went ahead and jogged back to the locker room and because the game was, was over and and um and i got in there and there was nobody in there and um i mean everybody was still out there and so you know it was just like you could still hear all kinds i mean it was still really loud out there but it was like the first time you know the the locker room was just you know dead quiet and you was more kind of ringing in your ear than it was you know and and it finally i just went over and i just sat down in the floor of the locker room back for a second And uh, and just put my hands on my knees. And it just, I mean, and it was just like, I just sat there. I was there for like two or three minutes and nobody had come in. And it just like, uh, that, that, and that just, I just, I just started crying. And uh, and I just, uh, just kind of all, it just kind of all hit me at one moment. Just um, you know how how awesome that was, how neat that, that it was that my granddad was there, and how tough it was that that, that my mom wasn't there, but how what she would feel if, if she were to have been able to experience it. And and um, I don't know, it was um it was it was a bunch of stuff that came came in at one time, and I was just kind of lucky that nobody was you know that I had the chance to kind of get myself together before the rest of everybody else got back to the locker room.
2: I don't know if this felt this way to you after that game, but it seemed like. And when you look back on it, you have the uh, the, the the beauty of perspective and hindsight. You look at your performances before that game and after that game, and it, it just seems like a a flip, a, a switch flipped. Because before that game, you had taken a total of of like we said, your first two years, zero three pointers. Up until that game, you had only made three that season. You had only made three three-pointers. In that game, you rough. scored 27 points, five rebounds, and you went three of four from the three-point line. You had never taken that many threes uh, in a game, and you made as many threes in that game as you had made up that whole season up to that point. <laughs> and I, then, didn't, I didn't realize that. And then things just go gangbusters for you. I mean 24 and 15 against Purdue, 29 and 7 against Penn State, 30 and 8 against Michigan, 19 and 13. I mean just game after game at Purdue, last regular season game, 22 and 15 in a big win. Oh, you to, smoked them. To beat Purdue in the last time you would play Purdue, Go to the Big Ten Tournament, uh, which Indiana has had zero success in since you left, really. Uh, you go 19-6 and against Wisconsin. You win. You play the number four Illinois team, stacked Illinois team. You win 16-2. and
1: At this point, you guys have won nine of 11 games. You're absolutely rolling.
2: And then you play Iowa in the championship game of the Big Ten Tournament, the one and only time that Indiana has played in the championship game of the Big Ten Tournament. A really tough loss to a really good Iowa team. You score 24-12. and Uh, Again, just finishing out a junior year that you average 19 points a game and 8.7 rebounds, one of the best seasons in modern uh, Indiana history. And now you get to go to the NCAA tournament. Is there any thought, Kirk, at this this point, are you thinking at all that this might be the last game you play for Indiana?
0: Um, No, no. I I really – it, it really hadn't uh, entered my mind. I, I guess that whole thing we've talked about a couple of times is just like, you're, you're just so focused on the, the next game and the next thing. And, uh, um, and uh, I just, I was so, I was so excited about that, that NCAA tournament run. I, I really, I, I just, I felt really good about where, where my game was at. I felt, I felt good about the, you know, the, the bracket. I just, I, <laughs> I don't know. I think, it was it ends up being pretty embarrassing but you know i'd I'd, on my shoes i had written down the numbers like the countdown of like 32 16 i'd written all the numbers on both of my shoes and i was ready for like i was going to x them off as i went along Mm. you know and didn't 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 get to x off uh many no and uh and uh and and really what ended up i think we had we had a what really had an issue with Iowa. i think they had um I'm trying to remember his name. It's so bad because I'm friends with him on Facebook, and I've just messaged him the other day. But they had a really small guard, Boyd. I think it was Boyd, that uh, really gave us a lot of trouble. And and that was the one thing that we had some troubles with sometimes was just the smaller, quicker guards. And of course, Kent State had one or two of them that just really gave us a lot of trouble. I'm sure, Trevor Hoffman. And um, yeah, and uh, and so that that you know, to be honest, it was this. this I don't know if I've ever. I, I, maybe I can't remember. I've, I've said some stories over the time and I, I forget what I've said, and what I haven't said, but I honestly did not think, think about going early to the NBA until I was stopped at one of the, uh, the, the minute marks in Bloomington. They all had the same name. I can't think of the names of them, but um, I stopped at one of the little minute marks there at camp, on campus, uh, at like two or three weeks after the NCAA tournament to just grab a, a quick breakfast on the way to class and the, like on the, Cover of the sports page, or even maybe it was the cover of the the, the main page, was that Haston, you know, Haston Jeffries thinking about leaving school you know, I was like, I I didn't even, I hadn't even entered my mind that that would even be out there to even think about. And so I didn't even, I had not even thought about the possibilities of that until I actually saw it on a newspaper. Damn that that, uh, newspaper.
1: Damn that newspaper.
0: (laughs) Well, well, I mean, I I think that I would eventually kind of gotten there myself. I uh, suppose. (laughs) But, but that was, that was really the first time where I thought that, that, that might be a a possibility uh, to even, to even think about. And, and like I said, I I had, I I just had some, I thought, I thought that I was a stock as a player. I thought my stock was maybe about as high as it could get. And, and I just, um, and it was never like, it crushed me to leave early. I just, I I just loved it. I loved it at Bloomington. And I, and I just, I felt, I just, it was, I knew it was going to be more fun to stay. I knew it and 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 it was really more of a a brain decision than a heart decision and and um and and maybe it was right, maybe it was wrong but uh but it was it was it was definitely something that kept me up a lot at nights.
1: Can you take us a little through the process because I think it is something you know me as as I was graduating at that point, I remember seeing you like in the copy mart getting copies of something after you'd already said you were leaving. And and I was just so sad. And I was just like, oh, I, I could not understand it from your perspective. And I think maybe over the last 20 years, a, a lot of people understand more why players leave early and and don't begrudge them that and would certainly do the same thing or encourage their child to do the same thing. But can you, you talk us through, especially when your heart – wanted to stay what what was the process like did you talk to coach knight at all you know and how did you finally I, arrive at that decision
0: i i did uh, i i actually um i went out i think a couple of nights and and just met with coach knight um and uh that was that was couple of the more more special nights i had in bloomington where you know i I basically called him and was just asking for some advice and just if he knew of anybody that he could talk to because i knew he had all kinds of connections and i was like you know just trying to get some insight on like if i did look into this am am i even on the radar of anybody and so um you know he was he was calling he was talking to some people that he knew in the industry and and he would i thought that he would just call me back or tell me to call him back and he would said he would just say hey won't you come out to the house tonight about seven and we'll talk about it. And I was like, sure. Cause I hadn't seen, you know, I hadn't seen him. And, you know, it was just kind of this uh, strange deal where he was in town, but you never saw him anymore. And so I went out there and we would just talk and there was boxes everywhere because they were packing to leave. And, and I remember sitting out on like their sun porch and we were just talking about stuff. And we ended up talking about, you know, very, I mean, we we talk like five minutes about my situation and, and, and an hour about just like other stuff. And I just was sitting there one night. The the first night I was out there, I was talking with him, and and uh, he's got some stuff packed up. But next to the the little the little stand that's next to the chair that I'm sitting in, there's a table that's got a uh, picture of him and Ted Williams fishing, and then mm. I'm just like. I'm like I'm sitting here talking with Coach Knight, you know. I've got this Ted Williams looking over my shoulder, and we're talking, you know, basketball and everything. And and it was just um it was a neat snapshot that that I that that it was nice to have to to put in the the memory banks and, but to to go on forward with the decision making, I, I decided that I was I was really it was really hinging on how I did in the what used to be called the pre-draft camp in Chicago at the Moody Bible Institute. It's now I think just called the NBA Combine. But I was like, I, I thought that, you know, because, I mean, it was mixed reports on where I might go if I left. And, and I was like, well, I'm going to go to this thing. I'm not going to sign with an agent. I'm going to go to this thing. If if I if I, if I I tank, then the decision's made. If I play great, then we'll see what the options are and what it's looking like then. And, and I went out there, and I just played really well. And uh, it went well. I tested well. I uh, played really well in the games. Um, you know, I remember Jay Billis putting a thing out there. These are the top. These are the five guys that 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 increased their stock the most and did the best in the camp. And I just remember thinking, like, you know, I've already been here four years. Uh, I'm going to graduate. I mean, uh, I have really good health right now. Um, you know, I've got the, uh, the NBA pre-draft camp went great. That's in my back pocket and, and I'm coming, you know, uh, is is my stock ever going to be as high as it's going to be for, for me right now at this moment. And, um, you know, just after talking with my family and mainly my granddad and everything, and just saying, you know, you part of the. That, that, that little experience I had, and kind of the hesitation that I think that Coach Davis had with me in my game, and and I really didn't lock in my starting spot again until after that Michigan State game, and and um, I don't know, it's just that 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 it was all none of it was 100% thing. It was all little pieces that kind of fit together that that I just tried to make kind of a a um, a it was more of a business decision and then a heart decision, and and that's that that hurts me to even say that, but. But it's um, that's kind of the way that's kind of the way I went about it.
2: Well, Kirk, I can tell you. I mean, I, I remember when you left too. If there was any um, frustration or bad feelings from Indiana fans about you leaving, it wasn't. I I, I think in the moment, again, because we're all up our own ass. To quote that again, but <laughs> but it, it wasn't about you making the 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 a bad decision. What it is, is we loved watching you play basketball. I mean, (laughs) there are certain players in the history of Indiana basketball, whether they were born in Bloomington or any part of Indiana or wherever they come from, that seem like they were born to wear Indiana across their chest. Kirk Haston, number 35, is one of those players. It just seemed right. So, selfishly, if we were able to get another year to see that, God, we wanted it. Well, and
1: also knowing <laughs> the, who you were going to be surrounded by. Like we knew that team that the sky was the limit and, you know, as you've you've said before like, "Oh, you guys just needed me out of the way to make that magical run." <laughs> but we all knew uh, you know, in terms of how do you uh, get over that last uh 10-minute hump with Maryland having Kirk in the lineup probably is a is a huge way to get you there. So, I guess as you are watching that magical run like the rest of us, how how conflicted are you? How much do you love watching your teammates go on this run, but also knowing that was the magical run you wanted
0: to go on? Well, the uh, the smart thing to say, and what I think most people say, and I think a lot of times they're lying, they say, man, I was just so glad for my teammates, and I was happy for them, and, and that you, it's just part of it. I got. I got to be honest. I I was miserable. I mean, mm-hmm. I was absolutely miserable. And uh, it just. Uh, I was. I was really conflicted because I just. I loved those guys so much. Still do. And I just. I was. I was thrilled to see Odell have like such a big part of the team. And I, you know, and he. And, and if I'd have been there, I, that would have. You know, he he still would have been a big part. But he uh, he would. He I think he got more minutes with me being gone. Sure. So that, that was a great thing. I, you know, Coverdale got to become a star, you know, and if, if if he's having to throw me the ball ten times instead of driving in and doing that patented ball fake to the corner, lay up, fall down, get an end one, <laughs> then, then maybe he's not – he, he doesn't get the chance that he gets to, to shine. So, you know, I, I looked at it and, and analyzed it from every angle possible because I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the smartest – the smartest person in the world, but I am an overanalyzer. And I, I just, I, I just, I'd get mad at myself at being, at feeling like, like, you know, I found myself like, you know, if this was just, if they would just, if they would just lose, I wouldn't have to feel uh, this bad about myself. And then I would get mad at myself at how selfish and petty that was. And then I, you know, so I, it was this combination of like being really happy for them and pulling for them and, and being miserable. And it's just a really strange combination. And, uh, and, and, and in the mix of all of that I've got George Lynch who of course played at North Carolina and he was my teammate at Charlotte and in the middle of all this he has a national title ring and he's just telling me you know he's just you know needling me all the time oh. saying man I can't believe you're not experiencing it. let me tell you how incredible it is to be in the Aww. final four run. and and so I, I was getting it I was getting it from them as well and so uh, but like there was I forget which uh, it was it was Maybe the elite eight. game. It was, was the one elite the game eight game.
2: That, it was the elite eight game. Well,
0: well, there was one game that we were in Indianapolis for, and it was yeah. just like this co- confluence of events and and karma and everything else, where you're just like, really basketball gods. This is the way this is going to play out, and uh and and so it's me and Bryce Drew. You can't, I mean, this, this is just you can't make this stuff up. Me and Bryce Drew at like an old Charlie's or a Chili's <laughs> or an Applebee's, and we're we're watching the Indiana game uh, and everybody and we're in Indianapolis and everybody's going crazy. And, and I'm just sitting there, you know, with like my cheese sticks, you know, and it's just like, like <laughs> it's just miserable, but like just to see, uh, to see these guys that were like my roommates and, and like my teammates and the guys I played hearts with and cards with on the road, you know, just being stars and just doing this thing that, that, you know, is was just so awesome for the state. And, um, and then like that night, you know, I didn't play, but like one or two minutes or something or the, the ended in the Pacers game. And then after the game, you know, I was the one that had all these cameras around me, even though like, you know, Mashburn and Baron Davis had 25 a game. And, uh, and they're asking questions about the, the Hoosier success. And I was like, well, this is the path I've chosen, you know, I've got to deal with this and, and answer these questions. But, uh, it was, it was a real, it was a real tough time. Just, um, you know, and, and, and putting tough time in perspective, you know, I'd, I'd been through things with my mom, and been through things with losing, you know, you know, Coach Knight as a coach, and so you all, it it helped to put things in perspective of like, listen, you're still getting on a you know private plane to the Charlotte Hornets, and you're flying to L.A. to to you know maybe not play that much, but at least you know be. On the court for a little while with you know kobe bryant and Shaq and next to jack nicholson uh you know your your life is not all that bad you know get 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 off get you know get off your uh butt and get to work so uh but it's it, um it, it's still something of course that dane gives me a lot of grief for, uh, of course. Grief for and, and, <laughs> and, and rightfully so
2: yeah i mean look when i'm here when i was reading it the the story uh or actually listening to it because i did the audio book of your book which is which is really weird to hear somebody else being kirk hasten it's very strange but but
0: i offered to read it they didn't want me to do it oh oh, they should
2: have because this guy messes up everyone's name
0: this guy yeah i don't he pronounces everyone's name wrong i didn't understand why they wouldn't just let me do it but yeah they should have
2: um but while I was listening to it and and hearing you just now talk about it, and I want to feel really bad for you at that Applebee's watching the Elite Eight game, and then I think to myself, <laughs> then I think to myself, yeah. But then he gets to go to the hotel and cry himself to sleep on that pile of money that he just got from the NBA. So you're not going to get much sympathy from me on that. Listen before right. we leave wait, wait. Bloomington. Oh, sorry. Oh, you, oh, oh, yeah. No, I was go ahead. Do our Bloomington questions.
1: Oh, okay. Because I had a couple sort of new fun questions.
2: Oh, okay. Well, let's do them together. Okay. So we always like to ask some special questions about Bloomington from people that got to live there because it is such a special place. So favorite pizza.
1: Oh,
0: probably uh, Mother Bears. Yeah.
1: Least favorite class.
0: Um. Uh, Definitely um, macroeconomics. Ooh, mm-hmm. very nice. That's a good one. How'd you do in that class? Uh, well, the uh, tutor did all the work for me. So, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I did, I, I, this I isn't did, North Carolina. So- George no, Lynch. No, no, I did. I did all my own work. I, the only, um, actually, I did okay in that class. The class I had one. The only C that I got was actually in uh, in an accounting class uh, at the O'Kelly uh, Business School. But mm-hmm. uh, but the microeconomics class was a summer school class, and there was just nothing I'd I'd rather just been on the golf course than in the summer sitting in there doing microeconomics.
2: Uh, favorite like uh, not counting McCree's and Buffaloes because we know those are at the top. But if you were going to have like a date night or a really nice nice meal, what restaurant do you go to in Bloomington?
0: Little dog grabs Yes!
2: And there it is. That is the correct answer. Okay. So, yeah, can't can't beat it.
1: Nope. So I read that you love watching movies, and a few in particular were named in this interview from a while ago. So I was wondering if maybe these are still some of your favorites and if you could rank them, if it's possible to rank, in order of preference, Jaws, Ghostbusters, The Godfather, and Back to the Future.
0: Oh, my word. That's that's just, like, right in my wheelhouse. Uh, I probably, as a... Childhood, childhood favorite movie was Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. I'm still a huge. Uh, my wife told me; she tells me all the time that I was lucky that I was six nine and a decent athlete because I'm I would just be a huge nerd if nothing <laughs> else. Because I just, I, I just, I, I love movies. I love, uh, you know, the the Ghostbusters and sci-fi stuff. But anyhow, I watched Ghostbusters probably more than any movie when I was a kid growing up. Mm-hmm. But I would say, as far as now is concerned, um, I. I actually, I just popped in the the VCD VCR. How old am I? I popped in the VD, the Blu-ray player last night. Um, uh, Hunt for Red October, which I put in my one of my top tens. I, I really like that one. But, but I, I, of the ones that you gave me there, I really would have to probably go. I'd, I'd go Jaws first. Mm. I think it's just it's just, it's just it, it changed everything. Uh, I'd go Godfather second. Probably then with. Back to the Future, or I might even have to jump Tombstone up there, too, in, in that top
2: five. Tombstone right? was uh, on um, the rotation. I just remember on the text chain? I just
1: went to Tombstone. I was there three weeks ago.
2: Tombstone was in heavy oh, really? rotation in in, in our— uh, uh, Oh, yeah. words has no, got great pictures from Tombstone. It's really fun.
1: Yeah, no, if you're that's, ever that's... In, in the middle of nowhere in Arizona, drive two more hours from the middle of nowhere, and you can get to <laughs> Tombstone. It's totally worth it.
0: <laughs> well, I'll, if I find myself there, I'll do it cuz it's it's uh it's one of my favorite movies.
2: Uh Kirk, what was it like being drafted in
0: the NBA in the first round? <laughs> um that uh oh, I didn't go I didn't go to uh the uh I didn't go to New York for the draft because um I believe it was I think it was still in New York then. They they moved around now, but I I had uh I'd gotten pretty good word that there was a chance a good chance i'd go to the bottom of the first round uh but i knew that there was still a distinct chance i'd go the second round uh so i didn't i didn't go and uh, just decided i'd stay at home or stay in, in in my home county uh and watch it with some friends and then they were getting a group together at uh the basement of the our church that we go to and uh, there was gonna be a bunch of people there watching and then i finally kind of just thought i really don't know if i want to be around a lot of people for this and that. so i I ended up talking to one of the, my buddies that was coming to the actual draft party. I asked him if I could go to his house while they weren't there and watch the draft there by myself while they watched it. While they watched it at the, and I said, as soon as I'm draft, I'll come over there. I just don't like, I just, I just need to, I just need to watch this by myself. I think sure. And so um, and so I watched it and uh i was just doing busy work trying to keep myself busy and because so i had a list of the guys and, and I, had a, I had i was trying to predict where they were going and i was writing down and I, I knew kind of the needs of teams by that point and i was like well if that guy went there then that guy's going to move here and i'm in the middle of writing all this stuff down and and i'm not even looking at the tv and i hear my name and i'm like well, that's because i wasn't expecting it for for a little bit longer and so i was just in the middle of writing down you know, you know like samuel dallen bear's name or something i don't remember who i was writing down and i look up and then they're showing highlights of me and i'm like did that just happen and there was no there was no dvr i couldn't rewind it or anything and then the next <laughs> thing i know they, they they say to charles barkley they say well it says here that uh kirk hasten has uh every episode of the andy griffith show on vhs and, uh, and and um and i remember barkley saying just sounds like another country bumpkin to me and i was like "That." That was meant as an insult, but I'll take that as a, a very good compliment from Charles Barkley.
1: So you you get to go to the NBA, and and of course we don't restrict it to the NBA. You could go back to Bloomington for this, but I was curious: who was the greatest player you were ever on the court with or against? You were just on the floor with them, and and you you were just like that's that's the best I've ever been around.
0: Um, I, there was there's there's a couple of ones that I can kind of point to that one of the first games that I played in, um, uh, I, I got the ball in the post and uh, Vince Carter was guarding me. And at that point in time, you know, Vince Carter was like, I mean, he was upper echelon and I was just, that was a kind of a pinch me moment. Um, uh, I, I remember getting dunked on pretty badly by Mari Stoudemire. That's mm. another, uh, as I flipped through the memory banks, Probably the neatest moment that I had though, and it really wasn't on the court, but it was. It was as we were checking in. Um, I was sent. I was sent to check in uh, at the uh, Staples Center at uh, about about 10 minutes to go in the first half, uh, and and uh, I go to the scores desk to check in at the exact same time that Shaq is sent to the court. Uh, sent to the scores desk to check in. And uh, in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, they saw me going in. And they were like, we've got to put Shaq back in. There. <laughs> and, um, and so me and Shaq are just there at the scores desk waiting to check in. And um, uh, I, I wish I, I wish I could find that video just so I could go back and just see if I could find a picture of it. Uh, I'd, I'd like to try to go back and see if I could find that game. But that was that was a pretty neat moment of just like – because, I mean, I was just a huge Shaq fan growing up. And just going into the game at the same time with him was was pretty cool.
2: Uh. I know you told this story quickly at the beginning, but since Ward asked that question, what was it like to watch Michael Jordan score fifty-one points playing against you?
0: Oh man, I it was one of those deals where, like, I know that there's a famous NBA video with uh, like uh, guys on the bench. I think it was the Atlanta Hawks cheering as Larry yes. Bird was. I was just, you know, I wanted us to win, but I was really wanting to see, you know, just you know something like that in person was just incredible, and then to, to have a chance to even be a part of the game was a bonus but after the game you know that was that was going to be his final year and he was um he was at, at the end of each game the final game he'd play against the team he'd pick one player out on another team that he really respected uh that he would battled against and he would send his game shoes over autographed and so stacy augman was on our team and so while we're getting dressed in the locker room after the game a ball boy for the wizards comes in and he's got you know, because Jordan always had new shoes. They only won one time. He had, you know, this 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 freshly worn, you know, size 16, white Jordan shoes with blue trim that's got a giant Michael Jordan autograph on each shoe, and uh, and they and, and they bring it in and give it to Stacy Ogman, and uh, and I'm just staring at him in awe, you know, and and I'm a member, be you know geek too. And so I'm, I'm going to the uh, the bus and uh, he's, he's like, uh, he, he yells at me and he was like, hey, can you carry, he's like, Kirk, can you carry these to the bus for me? And I was like, sure. And so I'm, I'm carrying these, you know, thinking about like, I oh mean, you know, I wonder what these could go for online. you know. <laughs> I um, but uh, so I, it was really cool to have like Jordan's game shoes in my hand that he just scored the 51 points on against us. Uh, that was um, that was pretty special.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say one of those shoes disappeared on the way to the bus. <laughs> and Stacy never found the oh, other one. You
0: only gave me one, Stacy. I- <laughs> Uh, I'd have been glad to, I'd have been glad to make some trades if he'd have been up to it, but I don't think Stacy was letting go of those
2: uh Kirk before we let you go, one thing that you talked about throughout your book that I think is music to the ears of of Indiana fans that is so important to us and we want it to be so important to the current team is you talked you made many mentions throughout your book of how Coach Knight made it clear to you guys that you were not just playing for yourself you were not just playing for your teammates you were playing for Scott May and Calbert Cheney and Isaiah Thomas and you were playing for the little old lady you know in Ellettsville who is 90 years old and hasn't missed a game that that it it was very clear to you that when you put that jersey on you were playing for a community of people that that came before you and are are there with you at that moment. Can you just talk about what that is and why that is important to players playing today?
0: Yeah, that was really one of the most common threads that coach not had was just, you know, remembering the bigger picture of who you represent. And, uh, and, uh, I I think that unless you fully appreciate the history of, 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 the program that you're with, and you you know in just what it you know you're coming in you know a lot of times maybe even from out of state but you're coming in to something that people have such a passion for I mean we've talked a lot about family uh in, in, in this podcast today I mean Indiana basketball is a part of people's families I mean it's they they look at Indiana basketball and there's there's memories of getting around the TV and and going to games together and and talking and debating and everything. It's just inside the fabric. It's just woven inside the fabric of people's families. And, and, and so you really have to, you really need to respect that and understand that, you know, as you're, you know, as you're working towards, you know, working towards winning basketball games or you're uh, working towards, uh, you know, being a, you know, a student athlete that that is something that that the, the the campus and everybody can be proud of. It just all ties into a much greater tapestry than than just a single game on a single night.
1: Let me ask you about a couple of quotes that Coach Knight gave on your behalf. Uh, the first one, I'll just say the quote because I think the listeners should hear it. Uh, this is when you were running for office, and Coach Knight said, "I've known a lot of dumb politicians in my day." And Kirk won't <laughs> be one of them. <laughs>
0: uh yeah, So,
1: so, so was that something you got on some like uh, some flyer material as you were campaigning around the state? Was that something you were able to use?
0: I, I did use it in mailers, and it actually, <laughs> it hey, it actually for the the, uh, the 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 mailing the mailer organization or group that I used out of Nashville, they won an award for that. Um, and, uh, That's and awesome. because that, uh, and so that was pretty neat that coach not still getting wins, winning championships today and, and uh but yeah he actually sent that in a video file an audio file he uh texted me that as an audio file to use in a radio ad if i wanted to use it and, mm-hmm. and the radio ad just went it just it just went crazy people awesome. just loved it and uh it just um it just if anybody was curious whether or not it was really his him or not on the radio when he got to that point and said that that was all the provenance that needed to have the proof like oh yeah that's coach Knott. That's definitely <laughs> something he would say
1: and then on your book is the quote from him that says, Kirk Haston is one of my all-time favorite players. What does that mean coming from your coach?
0: It's It, it really is, um, you know, I, I feel like any player that makes it through and, and plays for him and, and goes to the battles, he and he would say this and people would say this, like if you know he's going to put you through a lot, he's going to test you. If you come out on the other side, he will always be there for you. And and I, I can only I can only re- just just fully one hundred percent endorse that statement. I mean, um, I felt like that uh, he tested me and he gave me an opportunity, and I and just him saying that just shows that I didn't that I, I at least came close to his expectations, and that means a lot.
2: Well, Kirk, when you were back for the Michigan State game the other night, and pictures kind of circulated online, social media postings got put up. It brought a smile to my face. I know it brought a smile to Ward's face. We were were just so excited to see you back home in Bloomington where you belong. Uh, You left a huge impression on everybody who watched you play. We loved watching your work ethic that was imparted to you by your grandfather and your mother. And I have no doubt that your grandfather and your mother are a big part of your family now with your wife and your kids And what you did for Indiana in your time there, the way you played the game, is exactly what we hope players today realize they're playing for. Because you represented the school well, you represented the program well, you represented the state well. And it is an honor to be able to walk down memory lane with you. Uh, and we hope that one day you'll run for president because we would love to say we had a presidential <laughs> candidate on our uh, podcast, and maybe the president. Who knows? Anybody don't, can don't. win. If,
1: if you run, let's win. Let's win this. Uh, but Kirk,
2: seriously, <laughs> it, it has been just a privilege and an honor to talk to you. Loved watching you play, and love what you have meant to Indiana.
0: I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's really been uh, special for me to have a chance to, to talk with you guys about some of this today, and uh, just thanks for having me on.
1: Anytime, man. Hysterics?
0: Hysterics?
1: Our first elected official. First elected official. That's kind of a big deal. First person from Tennessee. I loved how open and honest he was about all the different emotions he experienced at the good times and at the bad times. Like just the way he talked about watching his teammates go on that magical run. It's just so human. Human. It's just so how I think any of us would feel if we were a freakishly good athlete and had to decide between a, one of the, well, the greatest college basketball program of all time or going to be a first-round pick in the NBA draft. Like that That, that is such a, a wonderful decision to have to make, but no matter how elevated your problems are, they, for anybody, you're still going to be like, man... It's human. I wish I was not eating mozzarella sticks right now. I wish I was with
2: Dane in Atlanta. Uh, eating mozzarella sticks. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I, I I just go back to one of the most gratifying things about being a fan of a college program, at least for Indiana, my, my own experience, is watching the kids grow. Watching what Victor Oladipo did from year one to two to three— is just one of the most gratifying experiences you can have rooting for a program.
1: Literally unbelievable to watch that progression.
2: Yes, but Kirk's wasn't far off. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the from he he wasn't hotly recruited, you know. He, we didn't get into this, but Vanderbilt and Tennessee had both offered him and reneged because they had taken other players.
1: Still love he got to turn down Purdue though.
2: Yes, that's great. <laughs> but from that to then redshirting, to then averaging single digits, to then 15 points, to then 19 points, from not ever taking a three pointer to being close to a 40% three point shooter. It, that's what college sports are so much fun to watch because you get to grow with each iteration of the program. And it's what the one and done has killed a little bit about many programs in basketball. It's just so much fun to get to know these guys. We think by the end of their time we do know them. Yeah. And he said it. He was a part of our family. Yeah. Like that's that what more can you say? Well, and and to to know and to know that he was just
1: back there for the Michigan State game. And boy, how how much fun would that be to go back to assembly hall where your greatest against the team where your greatest moment of your college career took place. And and to me, and I think to many IU fans, we love our players so much. We want to see them come home so much. It's so important to me, maybe more than it should be, that they still love Indiana, yes. that they still want to be there and be a part of this thing that we all know is so special. Because, I don't know, you just figure— somehow because basketball was a business to them that somehow it's a little bit colder. But what we're learning time and time again is that it, it it's not that way. And may, maybe once they off, went off and played professionally, you become a little more callous to sentiment or whatever within the game, but everybody has that same feeling about Bloomington.
2: I couldn't agree more. I meant to mention this when we were talking about the Michigan State game. I didn't realize this till I was doing a little research on this one, that shot and that win was the first time Indiana beat a number one team at Assembly Hall
1: ever. Because they were usually the number one
2: team. Yeah, but I mean, we played against good teams. Kentucky came to, or not Kentucky, but they played Kansas, I think, there a couple times, like since 1972. 1970- what was it? Three it was when it opened.
1: Yeah, I'm sure, like you know, Michigan, Michigan rolled Purdue in. Purdue was good. The Purdue was never number one. No, no. they no. never will be right. either.
2: But just amazing that that was the first time that we beat a number one team in Assembly Hall, and it was because of that shot.
1: Well, and it was we were all just wanting to believe that we were going to be okay after Coach Knight left, and it turns out we're not. And we, and we haven't been. But at least for that moment, we thought we were going to be
2: okay. The, the butterfly effect, right? One thing happens, and then a the whole series of events. If Kirk decides that he's not going to come back after they fire Coach Knight, right. what happens to that team? Who else leaves? Does that start? Uh, you could say this about anybody on that sure. team. But he was the best player on that
1: team. Yeah, well, you could say the butterfly effect already happened, you know, in terms of when he did leave and— we fell a few points short to Maryland. Well, but
2: to his point, I mean, I, I know he says it in jest. Look, the the NCA tournament is so much about luck and matchups, and and in his book, he talks a lot about how he looks at Coach Knight's last ten years of being ranked number at least number ten like eight times over that ten years, making the tournament every single year. Th- that that is a greater um, barometer for judging Coach Knight than just a few NCA tournaments where it didn't work out. Who the hell knows what would have happened if Kirk Haston plays that year? Maybe we're better. Maybe we're a higher seed. And then maybe we run into a matchup that wasn't as good for us. And maybe Kirk has an off night. You just never know. It's true. We made the NCAA championship game.
1: It was was again. It was... uh,
2: We would have been a better team with him. I don't disagree. But the better team isn't always the team that wins the tournament. It's true. So I just love talking to him. He has this, like... For somebody to go through what he went through with losing his mom who meant so much to him and to have a support system at Indiana, the coaches, the players, and Coach Knight to support him and get him back on his feet and keep moving forward, it's, it's life-affirming.
1: And for how many jokes you've heard about Coach Knight throwing a chair, for how many times you've heard somebody bring up him physically or verbally abusing a player, how many times did you hear about him Almost beating Kurt Haston back home when his mother had passed. Right, like you, you don't. I think everybody who matters, who really knows about Coach Knight and his legacy in Bloomington, whether it's with the charity work or with acts of 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 kindness and and a family like this, we all do know that is the large majority of what this man was all about. And even Kirk would say, look. Yeah, there's criticism of him, and fairly so, as there is about anybody, really. Um, And then you throw in a man who's a genius. You got to cut him even a little bit more slack because of what comes with that. But ultimately, you're talking about somebody who had a huge, huge, huge heart and was there for a player, for a kid, at his darkest
2: hour. If you were there in the right way for the program and what you should have been doing and upholding your end of the bargain, being a student athlete, he was going to be there for you. And you're right. It doesn't get enough mentions. And hopefully through this podcast and others, the legacy of Coach Knight, uh, the good stuff can be highlighted because the other stuff has had its day in the sun. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I and I and that is what I love about this. I think most of the players... If not all that have come on, have been very honest and forthright in all capacities. But there's just so little you hear about Coach Knight being like cruel or malicious. You know, we've had a lot of these guys who had plenty of opportunity to be like, you know what, but he did this thing that was really shitty and I've never forgiven him for that. It just doesn't seem like, you know, and maybe there's some guys out
2: there we haven't talked to. Well, I'm we sure- talked to one, Dockich who clearly goes the other way.
1: Yeah, but I mean, look, that that's that's somebody uh who who is in the business of making exciting yeah, controversial statements. And and at the end of the day, we've what talked to about 50 of these guys at this point and and it just seems like the coach's heart was always in the right spot. And even if sometimes, you know, his actions maybe betrayed what he really wanted, he was – and not just for the players and their future, but the way he had perspective on what the game and the program meant to
2: us. Totally agree. Uh, that was a fun one. Just a great, great guy. Follow us on Twitter, at Hoosier Hysterics. For the hysterics, no E, no I, but, but sometimes why. By the way, somebody on Twitter I saw said – uh-oh. They found a definition that said, th- this one is a real gray area. If, if the word has other vowels in it, then the Y is not a vowel. So now technically, hysterics, the word has an E and an I in it. Right. So in that case, the Y is not a vowel. We have taken the E and the I out because we didn't have rights to the name. Hmm. But hyst- the way we spell it, that's not a word, right? Hysterics is a word, and in that case, the Y is not a vowel. But in the way we have it on our handle, in it our is a non-English vowel. word, there is no vowel. It's not a word. So it's now a real gray area. There's
1: a there's an argument, a legitimate argument to be made both ways. Now
2: there is. So take that, goons.